Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Nine minutes after nine, after a wet and rainy June, many people are hoping for the summer to finally arrive. And it looks as though we could be in for some good weather very soon, as Matt Aaron's long-range forecast has predicted an Azores high moving up towards Ireland. The Azores high is an area of high pressure that develops over a subtropical region in the Atlantic Ocean. It contains tropical warm air and could bring summer heat waves and higher temperatures as it moves over Ireland. While low pressure is still expected to dominate the country this week, with plenty of showers right up until the weekend, uh, we should uh, see a change to Ireland's weather uh, by the end of the week, more particularly late Saturday and into Sunday. The national forecaster has said high pressure from the Azores may edge up for a time on Thursday into Friday, bringing some drier conditions, but there's much, much better hope uh, for next week, the first week of July, first full week of July. Weather models show the Azores High will extend an influence up over Ireland, especially from next Monday, July the 4th. Uh, the 4th of July, bringing settled weather. Uh, so says the uh, Mirror today. No-go beach zones. You'll have heard Rory uh, in the news bulletin saying that children have cut feet on broken glass. Roisin Burke reporting front page of the Echo. Cross-save and Fianna Fáil councillor Audrey Buckley said she had been contacted by two families who had to take their children to the emergency department for stitches after they stepped on glass at the beach. Uh, Mrs. Buckley said both incidents occurred at Church Bay Beach Crosshaven, uh, which is a stony beach, making the glass very hard to see. Uh, Mrs. Buckley said locals were actively avoiding going to Church Bay due to littering and antisocial behaviour. No-go beach zones, front page of the Echo. Also on the Echo front page, Sophie's son speaks out. Sarah Hogan reporting that the son of murder victim Sophie Toscan Duplantier has vowed to continue seeking justice after Gardy ordered a cold case review into the 39-year-old French filmmaker's murder in West Cork 25 years ago. Nearly 26 years ago now. And Garda Siakona's serious crime review team will conduct a review of the case and make recommendations to the investigation team. It was announced this week and we spoke in great detail to Solicitor Frank Buttermer on that yesterday. But the son of murder victim Sophie Toscan de Plantier has vowed to continue seeking justice. Uh, the DPP needs answers for the country and the people. In addition, new elements must uh, have been released during these past few months and justice has to come finally, he says, for my mother and for the people living with a murderer. Uh, if that murderer is still out there, uh, that murder, murderer needs to be identified and found. Uh, I saw Jim Sheridan actually saying, uh, can we forget about Ian Bailey in this situation now and let's uh, be serious about finding uh, the real uh, killer. And uh, that was uh, from a person who made a film on the whole thing. We're going nowhere, says uh, the mirror. Airline grounds more Dublin flights, but it's all good for Ryanair routes. Aer Lingus has scrapped at least 11 more flights as its cancellation numbers uh, now approach 50 in just six days. In a statement to the Irish Mirror, uh, the airline last night confirmed that thousands of disappointed passengers were affected when it axed 22 flights, which were due to fly today and yesterday. These are in addition to 13 cancellations last Sunday, three on Monday and 12 on Wednesday. The national carrier has blamed the cancellations on COVID cases, problems at Heathrow Airport in London and on a strike in France. But apparently it's all good for Ryanair. Ryanair told the Irish Mirror had no flight cancellations yesterday and doesn't foresee any today. A spokesperson added Ryanair confirms there's been no disruption to its Irish flights as a result of minor and poorly supported union-led strikes in Spain. Travel experts have been urging holidaymakers to take out insurance 
and are pointing out that consumers' rights are very strong under EU regulations. Uh, passengers' options when hit with flight cancellations are a free rerouting of their journey as soon as possible or at a later date or a full refund within seven days. Not much good getting the refund. I know you'll put it in your pocket and all that, but if you're three or two and a half or three years waiting and saving for your holliers and suddenly the rug is pulled, not good at all. Uh, Republic of Dyerland, says the Irish Daily Mirror today, 80% are struggling to pay their bills, 20% forced to get a second job. The public is plunged into a depression. Uh, staff are being priced out of cities as well, says the INMO. HSE chief stating nurses' costs of living difficulties uh, are nationwide now, with some unable to afford rents. But 7 out of 10 Irish people are using hot water bottles to stay warm at night because they can't afford to turn on their heating, uh, says the Irish Mirror today. And uh, as they were all saying, no, no, there won't be any, no, there won't be any emergency budget. It's going to be the second Tuesday of October. Uh, then Leo says, look, we, there might be. Uh, and uh, I also heard um, Michael McGrath, Minister Michael McGrath, uh, Minister for Public Expenditure, um, didn't quite nail the day uh, but I think you can take it from sources in the media that that budget will be brought forward to the last Tuesday of September. That's our feeling on it here anyway. But that's just three weeks. Uh, it's now it's needed, but it looks like it will be agreed. Uh, and it's just a forecast that uh, we all uh, come around here. It's looking very much like the last Tuesday of September. Anyway, almost 80% are struggling to pay their monthly bills. Nearly the same share having dipped into savings to cover the cost of bills. Startling figures also showing that 52% of 2,300 respondents in the survey are struggling to pay their mortgage at the end of the month. Uh, mortgages are meant to be struggled with, I suppose, at the start, uh, and are meant to get much easier as the as the life of the mortgage goes on. But uh, that's not the case for many people. Ninety k salary is not enough to buy a new home, says Alan Healy uh, on the Examiner front page. A couple on a combined salary of eighty nine thousand euro will face a shortfall of thirty thousand euro when it comes to buying a new home in Cork, even with the aid of help to buy supports. House prices will continue to grow by about 4% over the next year, but even with this decline in inflation, huge numbers will remain priced out of the market until there is a sufficient supply of homes to meet demand. Uh, that is the view of estate agents and auctioneers in a new report on the state of the residential housing market. I'm hearing of um, mason crews that are looking for work, uh, and if that happens, what's next? Probably going to be the first fixed carpenters. If there aren't enough houses being built, uh, eventually the roofers will run out of work. And I don't think we'll probably hear about that in the media until eventually the plumbers and electricians will uh, run out of work. Um, but it seems very evident to me that the crash isn't coming. I think it's already here very heavily. Pension hike of 23 euros now urged. A hike of 23 euros to the pension will be needed uh, in this year's budget to keep pace with record inflation. The coalition has been warned. The pensioners waited three years for a fiver. Uh, €23 is is now what they'll need. At a meeting of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party this week, advocacy group Age Action told TDs and Senators a record increase will be required just to allow pensioners to stand still. It comes as tonish to Leo Varadkar yesterday, uh, warned yesterday that the cost of living crisis could last for years and will not end because of any budget. Age Action told the Irish Daily Mail that while its budget position will not be finalised for several weeks, any change to the pension will have to match inflation, which has hit a 40-year high of more than 8%. An increase of €5 Euros is not going to cut it this time, guys. Uh, you 
you can warn the struggling pensioners all you want uh, that uh, you know we must all tighten our belts and do our bit the pensioners have already done their bit for this great nation uh, and a fiver in three years was just an insult there's no doubt it's going to be a giveaway budget the feel good factor of uh, uh, you know the coming up of the changing of the guard uh, in the office of the Taoiseach's coming up at the end of the year, isn't it? Uh, and I'm sure uh, Micheál Martin will want to uh, go out on a high, uh, generous Micheál as, uh, uh, you know, as he comes to the end of his agreed term as Taoiseach. But five euros is not going to cut it this time, guys. You might as well get it out there now. There's a plan to extend 200 euro electricity subsidy into next year. That's on the table in budget talks. Philip Ryan, the political editor in the, in the Independent, say households could see electricity bills reduced by another 200 euro next year under plans being discussed by the government ahead of the budget. Uh, that'll probably buy you a litre of petrol uh, a week for the year. Uh, with the cost of living crisis escalating, uh, senior ministers are discussing a range of budget measures aimed at reducing the financial burden on households. And central to high level dis- uh, discussions are plans to extend the unprecedented 200 euro electricity credit which was taken from bills in recent months uh, and extend that into the new year. The move is among a series of budget decisions being discussed by government leaders and senior ministers as opposition calls grow for an emergency budget. Uh, so we're not going to get an emergency budget anytime soon but it does look as though it's going to be three weeks earlier than the um, then the proposed second Tuesday of October holding the budget in September will give the government more time to pass legislation uh, legislation underpinning budget decisions. Legislation already exists, of course, for the reintroduction of the energy credit, which means it can benefit electricity customers sooner. And that might be the SOP. That might be what will be given uh, over the course of the summer uh, to ease calls for the emergency budget. Maybe we'll get that 200 euros again off the electricity. I fought the GNAW and the GNAW won. G-N-A-W, GNAW. Rodent infestation sparks a mass panic at Garda HQ, says the star today. An intrepid mouse which caused mass panic and a rodent with a taste for milk tray chocolate were among the pests at Garda HQ in the past year. I kid you not, a small creature gnawing at walls also got special attention. Copies of inspection reports from Angarda Shia reveal how one daring mouse sparked bedlam at a Garda building this February with monitoring stations set up to trap him. A live mouse is currently causing mass panic in the building opposite the Technical Bureau main entrance, says an exterminator's report. Another report from last September logged a rodent problem in the facility section. I've been hearing what is presumably a mouse gnawing at the walls, said an incident form, and now it seems to be trying to chew through carpet tiles. An inspection found no evidence of rodent activity, however, with an exterminator climbing up into the attic with a mirror and a torch uh, in, a, in a vain attempt to locate the uh, intruder. More of that uh, light-hearted story, I suppose, uh, in the star today. Over to the Sun Cafe threatened over jokey Jesus Sarney. Uh, a cafe named a sandwich Jesus Christ and unleashed hell. Its menu board was vandalised, while a mysterious note claimed it was blasphemy and demanded €350. Uh, Millie Dignan, 30, owner of the Bridge Bakehouse, said she revamped her Sarney menu with uh, a string of comedy names to try to cheer people up. Uh, She went on, we've had Jean-Claude Van Ham. Hello, is it Brie you're looking for? Uh, And don't go bacon, my heart, bacon. Don't go bacon my heart. Uh, Jesus Christ was another. Grilled or cold, 
using mature cheddar, mozzarella and onion chutney and it's our best seller. But some found it highly unsavoury uh, with one trying to paint over the menu outside the bakery which is in Whaley Bridge in England. Uh, Millie then received a chilling letter this week claiming to be from Christian Concerned. Uh, it warned, the slant on the name Jesus Christ is an insult to Christianity and is seen in the eyes of the law as discrimination against Christians. It threatened legal action unless she apologised, removed the name and gave €350, uh, in Sterling of course, 300 to the local church. Uh, But Christian Concern denied threatening eternal damnation. Millie said, it seems this is all done by some random person in the village who decided to try and blackmail us over a sandwich. Uh, who has the time on their hands to come up with this? And customer Judy Longdon, who's 75 years of age, says, I think it's ridiculous. We all do. It made everybody smile. Would it make you smile? A sandwich called Jesus Christ? Uh, 0818 104 106 is our phone line. And by text or WhatsApp, 0868 104 106. The Neil Prendeville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. Okay, we've been waiting so long. It's been uh, a long time coming. People can't wait for it to arrive, and I'm not talking about the emergency budget. I'm talking about the good weather. Alan O'Reilly, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Uh, Azores High, we've uh, discussed it there in the newspaper review. It normally means good weather in this country. That's all people really want to know. It's coming up our way. We should uh, have good weather Sunday, uh, and especially nice weather on Monday. Would you concur? Well, you need to be careful about nice weather because people's expectations when they hear resorts high and nice weather can be to throw off the, the clothes and get the bikinis and the shorts out. And it's going to take a little bit of patience. So the high pressure is going to build slowly. So you're right, just the odd shower on Saturday. Sunday looks dry down in Cork and so does most of next week. Um, maybe just one or two little showers around Monday and Tuesday. But really from Wednesday then, temperatures should start to increase. So it'll only be from Wednesday the temperatures will start to get into the 20s or 19 or 20 degrees. Now, the details that this far out are a little bit uncertain. And we can have high pressure and we can still have a lot of cloud around. So that's why I'm kind of sounding a word of caution because don't expect clear blue skies. It just depends on where the high pressure exactly sits, sets up. We can get cloud trapped in underneath it. But it's certainly looking better. Let's put it that way. The deluge of rain that you've had down in the south in the last 10 days is going to ease off and we're going to see some nice settled weather. Just how nice and how long, that's the tricky part to forecast at the moment, Mike. Yeah, so forecasting is tricky. How far, honestly, can you, you know, without, that, you know, tea leaves in the bottom of a cup and all that kind of stuff, how far, honestly, can you guys predict ahead accurately? Yeah, generally, generally it's seven days for, for kind of the general forecast. But when you have showers and things, it's hard to get more kind of, I suppose, localised because you can have thundery downpours. Like this evening, there's going to be some very heavy showers moving across the country, but many places will escape and people will hear showers forecast and then they won't get any and they'll be cursing the forecast or they'll think, oh, there's only going to be a shower and then they'll get caught in two or three of them and they'll say, I thought it was only to be a shower. So it's hard it's hard to forecast that kind of details. But when you get high pressure coming up, it makes it a lot easier because you can generally say that it's going to be dry from Sunday for the next seven days. Now, we might even get 10 days out of it and we might even see temperatures getting up into the mid-20s around the following weekend, around these 8th, 9th, 10th. Um, we look like probably we might see temperatures starting to peak around then. So there's lots of farmers getting ready to drop hay and there's lots of people looking to do lots of things, but we just have to be a little bit patient because one of the things with social media and especially the newspapers' headlines is people see heat wave 
and expect it to arrive this afternoon. <laughs> and it's not going to be that. It's going to take a little bit of a patience. All right. Now, what about Cork City for tonight? Can I, anywhere you can focus in on that. We've got thirty to 40,000 people going to attend an Elton John concert. Is it brolly time? Yeah, it, it, there's going to be certainly some showers around this afternoon. Now, I, I think probably by, by evening time they'll have moved east of Cork. So it's a little bit tricky to forecast exactly, as I was just saying, with those showers. So if I was heading out, before I go out the door, I check the, the Met Air and Redder radar, the rainfall radar. And if you see lots of showers in or around Cork or coming to the, to the west, to the left on the map as you look at it, then you might want to prepare for some rain. But if you see not only rain to the east, to the right-hand side of Cork, you should be good. It's just, it's hard to pinpoint the exact time of those showers. But I, I think more, mainly afternoon, evening time and night time, we should be okay in Cork. Oh, that's fantastic. And what's the weather been like up country? Yeah, it's generally like the, the, the good news is for Cork is that high pressure is going to arrive with, with Cork first and then it's going to post up across the country. The east and the south probably doing the best out of any good weather that we see in temperatures and sunshine as well. If you're heading west and northwest, it should hold mainly dry, but maybe just that little bit cloudier and that little bit cooler. There is a few showers around Monday and Tuesday up the country, but um, if, yeah, if you're holidaying in Ireland and it's next week, you probably pick the right week. Um, and if you're the following week, you might even get lucky. Okay, so that's what kind of leads me into my next question. Uh, is, the, is next week, for what it's worth, good or bad, mostly good, going to be our summer? Or do you have any high hopes for, you know, a much warmer July and August? Yeah, so the, 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 as I said to you, seven days to ten days is kind of reliable. After that, then you're looking at trends. And the trends show that we might see a little bit of a breakdown, um, maybe, you know, in around the 13th or 14th. But it could be short-lived. It could be kind of a little bit of a blip before uh, it builds back in again. But that's very hard to forecast, really. But some of the weather models were showing some very warm weather moving up around the 14th or 15th. Now, it's not showing that at today's charts, but there is a possibility that uh, July will see a better month. Well, it, it has to be better than June, I think, to be fair. And July and August are our two warmest months. So it's looking much better. Um, another thing, just like if people are heading away to Spain and France and that, if this heat comes towards us, you can only imagine what it's going to be like down there. So you're going to be seeing 40 degrees again in parts of Spain and France. 40? Um, so, yeah, over 40 even possible in some parts. So, you know, if you're heading away, keep an eye on the forecast and, uh, yeah, make sure you have ways to stay cool because we all love a bit of heat, but when, when it gets to that level, it's, it's no fun. I love the Carlo Lilt. Alan O'Reilly, thank you very much for coming on the Neil Prendeville Show this morning. Thank you. And uh, things looking a bit better anyway for next week. Now, on the flight cancellations, Mick, you said Ryanair didn't cancel any flights. Uh, That's not entirely true. They cancelled my flight in August. I'm flying home to Edinburgh on the 2nd of August and was due to fly back on the 9th. Ryanair cancelled my return leg. I've rebooked for the 10th of August, early morning, as I believe there will be more cancellations. That effectively is is an operational cancellation uh, into the future, but it's not... uh, uh, cancelling flights while people are in the airport sort of thing. And I think that's what Ryanair were getting at, that uh, yesterday they didn't have any cancelled flights and today they're expecting not to have any cancelled uh, flights either. Uh, but your heart goes out to people who had booked on Aer Lingus. They're uh, being hit very badly now, apparently, uh, by COVID in their cabin crew, possibly some of the pilots, and are continuing to cancel flights, but more particularly in Dublin. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. And good morning at exactly 9.30 from the Neil Prenderville Show. And good morning to Mary Donovan. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. 
Now, Thank you for having me on your show. You're, you're more than welcome, and I want to give you the time that this topic deserves because it does deserve a lot of airtime. Uh, you spoke Thank to you. Neil Prandeville last year about the very sad and ongoing situation uh, regarding your brother and sister. Now, Cork City Council have been unable to find the burial place of your brother and sister, twin babies, who apparently died in Besborough Mother and Baby Institution in 1959. Yes. Now, the records of 13 local graveyards have been checked, and a Cork City Council officer checked the, the records within the local authority's boundary after a councillor intervened on behalf of you, Mary Donovan. Um, so, let, let's go back to the, to the start, and to do that, I need you to tell me uh, about your, your mum, Mary Margaret Finn. Thank you very much. Um, I, I, um, first of all, can I just thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my mom's story. And also, I would like to thank uh, the journal.ie for printing my mom's story. Um, my fight has been for the last 18 months after the revelation through an interdepartmental report for the Department of Justice because mom was a Magdalene Laundry survivor. And 250 of those cases were re-reviewed because women stated they were in longer in the institutions than what they were paid. And my mother's was one of them. So this is where the journey started for me after the revelation of a second pregnancy in Basbra on the 24th of March, 1959, where she gave birth to twins, Anne Veronica and Vincent Josephson. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, um, as you well probably... Imagine, um, I am also intergenerational. I was also reared in an industrial school from the age of one and two months till I was 18 and a half. So you were effectively, I, Mary, an intergenerational survivor yeah. of the industrial school era. Yes, yes. I was taken from the family home on the 19th. First of all, I went in at a year and two months uh, with a, a baby brother, Michael. Michael died, sadly, in September of that year, at five months old. And I suppose... You know, you can only imagine how my mother was feeling after the loss of a baby. And she ended up in Corkley Road, a uh, mental uh, institution, um, in, the, in December 1969. And um, she did not, she was unaware that her four children from the, sorry, her three children first, because I was a baby then, uh, were placed under a court order to be detained and certified into an industrial school until the age of 16. Uh, my brother Martin, who's since passed, uh, arrived in a year later at only two weeks old. So he, all the he children... You also brother David married, did you? He, yes, also David, deceased. I, David died, in, died from sheer heartbreak, I think, after my mother died in 2014. So I lost my mother in 2014, David 2015, and Martin, who was the youngest of the Donovan children that we were aware of, in 2016. And, and then um, on the 5th of December 2020, yeah. you got a report from your solicitor uh, yeah. because you, uh, as a family, were inquiring about your mother's time spent in the yes, Magdalene Laundries and at, at the pleasure of the Department of Justice, by the way, uh, yeah. and was sending a preliminary assessment report for Roderick O'Gorman. You, you, yeah. you, you found out then about the, the two babies. Yes, I found out under the, uh, the section under Tusla that uh, Mary Margaret had uh, two pregnancies. First, Dave was born on the 5th of February 1957 in Besborough. She came down from the Good Shepherd Magdalene Laundry in Limerick to have David. I have these records here. 
and then again in 4th of February, again 2000, or sorry, 1959, uh, pregnant with twins. But she came down from the psychiatric asylum in St. Finian's Killarney because I got her records now in, back in 2016. I got um, most of my mother's St. Finian records. So, and since then, since the revelation of the twins, I've got some from St. Joseph's in Limerick Mental Hospital, St. Brandon's Grange Gorman in Dublin, Carpey Road, and um, what was that? St. Stephen's Hospital, the psychiatric ward, uh, St. Patrick's, and also St. Finian's, where she was in and out for over 40 years. She spent most of her time in there while I grew up in the industrial school. So to get back to the twins, I uh, went and searched for birth certs. There were birth certs. And then uh, with the help of one or two other people, death certs were found. So yeah, I contacted Something very Cork fishy City. was going on there, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, because I contacted Cork City Council to see where the debt records were for Anne Bonica and Vincent Joseph. And they told me, first of all, they said, you know, it'd be very expensive, uh, you know, sending out debt certs. Now, I'm, I've been diagnosed with severe post-traumatic stress disorder over the last few years. And I said, look, if I have to start for the week, I pay for the two debt certs, which were 40, you know, 40 euro each. So um, when I looked at the debt certs, the debt certs were registered on the 1st of April. And the, the birth certs were registered on the 4th of April. And now, where, you know, obviously we needed to get the records. Um, so I applied under the SARS through my family solicitor because I think a lot of the mothers out there and, you know, families of siblings, missing siblings or deceased siblings, we, we find it very difficult to get the records on our own because we're hitting wall after wall after wall. So my solicitor... Uh, helped me and I signed authorizations for all my mother's medical records with St. Finbar's, which we still didn't get because if she was in Basbra, uh, surely there's medical notes on a day-to-day -day basis, especially a woman that's carrying twins. There's nothing in her Basbra record that I got. There's a lot of her records redacted. Um, it does state that she did have twins on the Sorry, I'm looking at the records here, and I know um, her records, a particular book of maternity home uh, for Basbra, that both babies were sent to Finbars. They were born at night. They were born uh, 10 to 9 and 10 past 9. Both were in the vertex position uh, on the 24th of March. One was a boy and one was a girl. Both weighed 3 pounds, 12 ounces, and they're saying that they were premature four to five weeks. However, I'll just discuss something there in a minute with that one. Uh, were both alive or just stillborn? They were both alive. They were both alive. Um, but the, uh, yeah. In Besbra, they didn't stay. They were transported to hospital. Yes. They, they said then on the discharge for, of the mother from the home, they said they discharged her on the 14th of April, 59, and that her health was good. But on another Besbra record, it states that she, didn't, she was discharged by ambulance on the 20th of May, 1959. So... My understanding of this is if the twins were born on the 24th of March and they died a day or two day old, why did they hold on to my mother uh, until the end of May? And why was her first discharge date logged in the book that she went home the 14th of April 59? Now, the babies were baptised privately in the presence of Sister Veronica Cleary. Uh, when I rang Tusla, the Adoption Society in Cork, they didn't have the baptismal record at all of the babies. 
and I told her that I that was um, Lynn Hosford, who has been a great help, but uh, in other sense, I feel that there's a lot of stuff being hidden behind their, the records. Now, she informed me that she had the full redacted records, but I have the non-redacted records. Okay, Roderick and O'Gorman last week, Mary, announced that uh, for uh, adopted children, there was yeah. going to be uh, access to all records unredacted. Uh, that may help in your situation, but you're essentially yes. trying to find out, and I'm, I'm going to say if, right, because yes. um, there, there's a possibility your brothers and sisters survive, but let's let's just say if they didn't yes. survive, you, yes. you, cannot, you cannot find their burial place. I have to act on the fact that there's a death cert. Now, my understanding of, you know, I, I was never in a mother-baby home, so... It, I'm, I'm just telling my mum's story from all the records that I have. I went to Belsborough on the 12th of June to share for the commemoration. I was very overwhelmed and I walked in her shoes. And I have a, a lot of empathy for all the mothers that went through those doors. And last year when you but spoke to I, Neil, you were going to go on hunger strike, you were going to chain yourself to the gates. On. If I don't, I'm tired of, you know, you know people uh, not listening to me. Mary Margaret Finn Donovan is a woman. She was a mother. She was uh, a grandmother. Um, she has a name, and so have the twins. When I looked at the uh, debt records, they are logged under St. Finbar's. They were, reg- they were an inmate of St. Finbar's registered the debt of Anne Veronica Vincent Joseph. However, over the last, you know yourself, you're constantly going through the records, you might miss something. So I reached out to a mother that had a baby in the mother and baby home, and we went through the record again, and she said, hold on a moment. Vincent Joseph's death cert is not the 26th. The entry on the Basel record says he died the 27th. So in my view, there's a death cert that's falsified wrong. But it was an inmate, uh, and, and I find it a very strange word, an inmate. It should probably be described as a patient of, well, was it St. Finbar's Hospital? That, that yes. seemed to officiate the death certs. But the death, yeah. certs, the death certs precede the birth certs. So that, yeah. in, that invalidates them anyway, because you need a birth cert to produce a death cert. Well, thank you very much. But people said, oh, the nuns collected. But like, as you well know, from the commission report, only 64 records have been registered in Basra. We have 859 babies missing in Basra who either that were born, transferred to St. Finbar's and who are, are deceased. I have to look at two options. If there's no burial records for my brother and my sister, then there's a high probability. Because my mother had been a mental patient from the age of 16 until uh, she passed in 2014, um, she would have been a, a, I'm sorry to say, it was a golden lottery to have a Caucasian boy and a Caucasian girl. Three pounds, 12 ounces. It is survivable because I've watched a lot of documentaries, uh, even in America, where the Dr. Hicks scandal, this seems to be very similar. My mother was a patient of St. Finian's Hospital. Uh, the record in Basra states her home address. She did not come down from her home address. She came down from St. Finian's because I have her records, Neil. People don't want to listen to my story because my mom's story is very sad. She's a survivor of two Magdalene laundries. She's a survivor of Belsborough twice. And she's a survivor of five mental institutions all in Ireland from the age of 16 until she passed in 2014. Can we talk My about Mar- Mary Margaret again for a moment? Uh, because I know you're very yeah. emotional on this and, and, and you're firing out yeah. the information. Uh, Sorry, did, did, no, 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 it's fine. Did, did, did you have a, a relationship with your mum? 
No, my uh, when I was a year and obviously I was put into the industrial school at a year and a half. When a woman comes up to the home, like first of all, I had two uh, an older sibling and an older sister and brother in there with me. We were put in under court orders in December '69, just before Christmas. We were not allowed form sibling relationships while in that institution. So I had to. to um, be involved in the age group that I was in and that's very sad because our relationships have only started to progress just before Mammy and my father died in 2004 and my mother in 2014 um, it's very sad the way they treated us and I think it's very wrong and it is a trauma but uh, with my mum having got that report Niall, um, I found out a lot more information. There was a court order attached to my mother at the age of 16. She turned 16 in July 1955. She survived tuberculosis. She was in a sanatorium in Killarney for six months at the age of 12 until she was 13. Um, Then she was put into St. Finian's uh, she was sorry, she was put up to the reformatory school in Limerick but They crossed out on the court order uh, to instead to be committed as a penitent into the Magdalene Laundry. Okay, now, the, the, the institutions of the state, Mary, se- seem to have drastically failed yes. your family. Not only were you robbed yes. of, of sibling relationships in the industrial yes. home or industrial school, uh, yes. but one way or, or another, whether they're alive or dead, you've also been robbed of the relationship for some 50, 60 years now of Anne Veronica and Vincent Joseph. If, if, if they are deceased, uh, the very least is you could go pay respects and kneel at their grave. Uh, but is there, yeah. do you think, any possibility that they were somehow spirited out of the hospital, fostered, stroke, adopted, uh, being you know, brought up in a loving family, perhaps? Is there hope in your heart that that might have happened? There is hope in my heart that that did happen, but... You know, my my interpretation of all this, the psychiatric asylums have never been touched. I have uh, documentation to, to, and I am not saying it out of, you know, I have done my research with all mom's records. I've interlinked and intertwined all the dates. My mother conceived two pregnancies in that. There is nothing about the women that were drugged up. My mother had ECT, electric convulsive therapy, at the age of 17, onwards for 40 years. She was also given the insulin shock therapy, which apparently was illegal, but that's what they did. Women were raped, violated, dehumanized, and denied their rights as human beings in this country. Their human rights were totally violated. I've been on this fight for a year and eight months, and I did with the with my research. We got an extra two years added on to our Magdalene laundries because of the records that I uh, retained from doing uh, FOIs and all this. I would love to. I want to. I am in a very situation where my brother, that's now living, one brother left, is in very bad health. My sister is also in very bad health. Am I going to be left, and I'm getting emotional, am I going to be left on my own, not knowing where my brother and my sister are? Now, there is also another child missing, and I know I didn't cover this. Um, Again, the search angels, I looked to them for help because they reached out to me, and I gave them all my mother's names that were different names on her psychiatric files. So how is it possible to try and find the pieces to this puzzle when there's different names on our psychiatric records, alias with her own name. 
And I don't understand why that's happened. But I don't want to be left on my own. And also, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain emotionally and psychologically because of what they've done to my mother and what they did to us as children. And it would be nice to see if they are alive. I've done my DNA because maybe that's the next question you're going to ask. I've done Ancestry DNA. I've done um, 23andMe DNA. But if they were legally adopted without any paper trail of papers, then they may never know that they were adopted. And they, they, and may, be, they, may, be walking, they may be walking yeah. around and, and, and never know they're in the same country or in the same town. Exactly. In the same and village. I have a lovely lady who was adopted herself in Galway who's out in Connecticut who reached out to me and she has my DNA uploaded to six or seven different sites and they are expensive and the government should be giving us these DNA tests for free too. But you were saying if they are in a mass grave, I don't want to leave them in a mass grave. Um, you you, want, you, you want, want them to be interned uh, in, in the arms of your mother? Yes, thank you very much because my mother didn't deserve what was done to her. I've reached out to uh, other organisations to help me, but no one. The only people that have helped me are a small handful. I've done my research. You do, and, and, I, you, and you've done 13 cemeteries. Let me give you a list of all of the cemeteries yeah, where, where, the, where the records were checked. St. Joseph's and Torrey Top Road. In Ballyfehan, yeah. St. Finbar's, Lashine Road, St. Michael's in Black Rock, St. Catherine's, Kilcully, St. Oliver's in Ballancolig, St. James Chetwind in Toker, St. Mary's in Curricapan, uh, St. Sennan's Tower in Blarney, St. Columbus in Douglas, St. Sennan's Abbey in Inniscarra, Rathcooney Cemetery in Glanmire, Carrie Grahan, Beg in Carrie Grahan, and the old Kilcully Cemetery. Are you still wishing for the excavation of yes. uh, Besborough? Yes. I do. I do. And I, and I feel that. You know, uh, I have I have uh, sent n- numerous emails to Mr. O'Gorman's office. I've sent emails to the Garda Commissioner's office. I have done everything possible on my own. Yes, there were detectives brought in to meet with me regarding Cork. And I was very disappointed at the end results because they stated that because there's a death cert, that there would be no criminal investigation. Okay. So my question to them was, well, where are they buried? Mary, where are they buried? buried? Will you hold that thought, Mary, and uh, I'll just take take a commercial break and come straight back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Thanks for holding on, Mary Donovan. That allows me to give you the the time this topic deserves. So for Anne Veronica... Sorry, you asked me about my mother's relationship with myself. Yes. I suppose when when you're put into an institution at a year and a half and you are under fear and fright because it was very tough. I was systemically abused right across the board. And um, I remember uh, a lady coming up and the nun would say, your mother's in the parlour. So I would follow my two older siblings because I was so young. And, you know, uh, the nun would be there present. So you couldn't say or speak because you did get the wrath if you said something. And I suppose now at 54, I kind of looked back on it in Ireland and I thought, Oh my God, you know, uh, I didn't realize, you know, what is a mother? Because I was taken so young, I didn't know what a mother was. Um, but I did decide when I left that orphanage at 18 that I, I wanted to make a relationship with my mother. My mother, I loved my mother and I. I know I never lived at home. I did run away from the home a couple of times because of sex abuse. But I, I saw the deprivation and the depravity that they were living in, sheer poverty. But I said I would rather live in that 
than to be put back in the home and be abused again. And uh, it was on one of those occasions that the ambulance arrived with four four guys in white jackets. And I asked them, Where, who are you? And they said, we're taking your mother to St. Finian's. Now, I didn't know what St. Finian's was. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's the mental asylum. And I go, I was only 13 at that stage. I was heartbroken. I ran from the family home all the way up to the orphanage. And the nun had no compassion, Sister Enda, and asked me why I was crying. Did any of the nuns have compassion towards you, No, there was one nun, and I won't... The nun in the kitchen had had more empathy for us, but she had no power. She was just the cook. It was the nuns that were running... The the nun, Sister Enda, ran the orphanage when I was there. I've since found out that my aunts, my aunties, Sarah and Maureen, were reared by that nun... Um, okay, let, let, let's not go into identifying in individuals here. Okay. Now. Let, let's let's well, go back. Bo- let's go back to Besbra, Mary. Uh, and, and yeah. Is the planning still sub- uh, subject to approval in Besbra? Uh, and what's yes. go- what's going to happen uh, if if there's not a mass exhum- exhumation uh, of the grave? Let, let me give you the stark record, and, and I don't want to be taking any hope from you. Uh, but 923 babies died in Besbra, and there are only records for how many? 64. 64. Yes. So that's a lot of babies without burial records. Is, is, yeah. is, it, is it right that their, that their resting place should now be disturbed en masse uh, to, to offer the DNA that might prove that your, your brother and sister Anne Veronica and Vincent Joseph might be there? Well, I think it should be a family decision and a family choice. I am the sibling of two missing babies. I am the daughter of a former survivor. Deceased mothers are not going to get any recognition in the commission or in the redress. And it's not about the money. It's about finding the missing babies, the deceased babies, burial, burial place. Um, pays a burial. I don't trust the state and I don't trust the church. I emailed the church and I asked them, someone needs, someone out there obviously knows where these babies were put. They, you know, there's been three archaeologists. There was a, an archaeologist and a forensics expert appointed by the, the religious orders early this year uh, to, uh, and they came back saying there doesn't seem to be any disturbed ground. I mean, I, I, I respect other mothers that want memorialization in a little 1.3 acre but for me as a sister I would like to know I'd like the answers as to where is Anne Veronica and Vincent Joseph I'm speaking my mother's story okay because I called out the 13 graveyards we've had a listener text in Mary to say there's one graveyard that wasn't mentioned or possibly not checked and it's the old graveyard in Ballon Temple at the top of Churchyard Lane that was a precursor to St. Michael's. Now, that wouldn't be a million miles from St. Finbar's either, so that could be a possibility. Yeah, but there was three. They also checked three other old records, burial records. St. Finbar's, St. Michael's and St. Joseph's was also checked. Can, so can, I, ask, can I ask you, Mary, if... Yeah. Let, let's say that Besbra is not the subject of a mass exhumation. Uh, let's say that uh, the, the, the dead babies there, without records or whatever, are going to be left to rest in peace or whatever. Let's say you do, let's say you don't ever find out uh, that that your brother and sister uh, and and you know this is going to be a sad question, but let's say you never find out that they actually died, and you never find out that if they did, you never find out where they are buried. Will you continue then to the rest of your days living in hope that even though you may not have a paper trail, that they were somehow spirited away and had a good life and may still be alive? Yeah, but don't you think it's it's unfair that we have been denied that right as a 
the, the other siblings, the younger siblings, a right to, uh, and I know I understand uh, the adoption side of it, but we did not know. We, I mean, this was not mentioned in my redress records that anything about my mother. My mother was, uh, all that was said was that she, it was all about her mental state. Names that were very disheartening and heartbreaking. We as a family have a right to know where they are, whether they're spirited out and in a happy environment. That's fair enough. I don't want to intrude if they have had a happy life. But on the flip side, if they didn't know they were adopted, then wouldn't you, if you were in that position, want to know where your, your family heritage came from? And we'd be able to answer questions now about our mother for that person, those, those two babies. Yeah, it just seems incredible that the death certs are there, but no burial certs. It no. does seem incredible that, uh, and I, I'm using the term because it was used in the report, an inmate, yeah. not a patient, an inmate of St. Finbar's actually officiated or signed the death certs. Uh, that seems very, very fishy to me. Well, the same registrar that was that signed the that signed the birth records, uh, Doctor Mr. Conway, signed the same on the death cert, and also the death cert of these young mothers that had babies that were told. My mother was questioned years and years ago by David. David was eleven years older than me. I only got to know David when I was around 12, 13. But like that, no sibling relationship because I was left in that home. I know. Everyone, they forgot to come back to see me. You know, I was. Mary, so Mary I I, I, I'm very aware of your case. I'm out of time, I'm afraid. I could continue oh. to talk to you, but... I've... I will fight my fight. I will fight my mother's voice. I will speak my, my mother's voice. And I, if I have to, I will go on hunger strike. And I will go... To Basbra and there's and, a lot and of keep that keep asking me. the question: How can we justify development on land when there are still so many questions about so many babies that still haven't been answered? Yeah. Mary Donovan, thank you. Good morning. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Eight and a half minutes past ten. Good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. It is, of course, uh, Roosters Piri Piri Free Food Friday on the Neil Prendival Show. They're in Douglas and in Blackpool. You can text or WhatsApp. Say who you are, where you work, and why you want us to pick you, please, on 86 8104 now we're going to feed 15 people and the winners get a selection of starters consisting of chicken skewers, beef skewers, chicken wings, mains will include chicken wraps, beef burgers and chicken pittas and all meats are basted in their famous medium piri piri sauce and they'll also throw in the piri salted fries, rice and the newest side which is waffle fries, very tasty and also throw in some portions of piri mayo and garlic piri mayo and as a very special treat thanks to Rooster's Piri Piri uh, you can build your own cheesecake with a selection of toppings like Kinder Bueno sauce, Kinder Pieces, Nutella and lots lots more uh, now you can check it out on uh, roosterspiripiri.com uh, and if you want any extra info or just want to drop in you'll find Rooster's look in Douglas and in Blackpool. That's the first time I've mentioned it, but there are already people uh, texting in with our Free Food Friday mentions. And uh, once again, the number is 0868104106. Uh, we'd love lunch, please. Denise and all the hardworking childcare staff at Little Hands Childcare Redemption Road, Blackpool. Free Food Friday for Kilsaran Quarry in Ovens. Would love this. We're working hard organising loads of stones. Uh, I think you texted in last week as well. Paul and the lads are absolutely starving here at Merview Laboratories in Watergrass Hill. Roosters Piri Piri for Sandra, Donna, Arlene and the customers at House of Hair and Kinsale. I would uh, like to recommend all the hard workers from Rockwell Engineering 
uh, in Janssen Ringeskitty uh, for today for my partner Owen. Free food for my uh, sister Gemma and all the staff at Tusla in uh, Finbar's Hospital. Uh, free food Friday for my sister Laura O'Connor who works for Cloudera. She's only returned to the office in the last few weeks after working from home for the last two years. Free food Friday for all the staff in Pat McDonald Paints uh, on Bachelor's Key who love the show. CADA is the Performing Arts uh, Centre. Cork Academy of Dramatic Arts, isn't it? And they're on Pine Street. Catherine, Caroline and staff, uh, they're simply amazing and work really hard. Uh, morning, Mick. We listen to the show every day and we really enjoy it. We would love a treat at Specsavers Market Green in Middleton. And we hope this could be our week. Now, there is a fundraiser family event that I want to mention because it's for a great cause. Uh, it is in, in aid of supporting Emma's recovery and helping to break the mental health stigma. Uh, and there is a huge event happening tomorrow at the Black Market uh, on the Black Rock Road from 11.30 to 4pm. Uh, that's not the first time the Black, uh, Black, Rock, uh, the Black Market has uh, been used for this sort of charitable purposes. But tomorrow it's uh, adults entry at a fiver, children at three euros, uh, with a free game of carnival uh, with each entry. Uh, and uh, there's going to be discussions with Dara Fleming, Lizzie Shorthall, Keith Russell from 1 to 2pm. Uh, Karen Dunn is going to be there. It's going to be a trad session, all-day carnival games and face painting, and over five thousand euros worth of raffle prizes and live music 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, by Amy McNamara. If you're in the area, the Black Market on the Black Rock Road tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. to uh, 4 p.m. Uh, and you can support that very worthy cause. Now to our phone lines and on line two is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Uh, good morning, how are you? Now, you're a biochemist. Uh, yeah, that's my original training and education as biochemist, yeah. Okay, so, but you've turned uh, into a more interesting, for me anyway, a fine spirits expert with more than a decade of experience in the art of crafting and distilling premium spirits. That must be exciting. Yeah, I know, it's, it's a great career and it's a great industry. So, yeah, as you say, I uh, studied in Edinburgh, um, Masters in Brewing and Distilling, and then worked for Cooley up in Dundalk, uh, making whiskey, and then uh, moved to the moved to Canada and helped set up um, and run a distillery up there for whiskey, gin, and vodka, and then worked on a number of different other projects as a consultant before uh, setting up um, Rebel City Distillery with uh, my wife, Peg, and my father, Brendan. So, yeah, it's been a, been a good journey so far. So you hold a Masters in Brewing and Distilling. I didn't know such thing existed. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's quite a good qualification for a production career in both the brewing and distilling industries. So, it's a quite a good um, recognised masters there from Harry Watt in Edinburgh. So, okay, t- t- tell us the process, and then we'll talk about Rebel City Distillery. Uh, what, what's the process in making all of this fine alcohol? Um, so it depends on the particular spirit uh, you're, you're making. In our case, in Rebel City Distillery, we're making uh, gin and uh, just launched an absinthe. So for both of those, you would select your botanicals, which would vary by the product. For our, our gin, for example, we get the, our signature botanicals from a women's collective in southern India in Kerala, where my wife is from. Uh, and so we then redistill those in the presence of ethanol, and the ethanol takes up the flavour, basically, of those botanicals. Uh, and what, are, what uh, Describe those botanicals that you're getting from India. 
Yeah, so from the Women's Collective, we get Cassia, uh, Nutmeg Mace. Uh, so Nutmeg Mace is what covers the nutmeg, so it's kind of quite a spicy botanical, and it gives Argin a nice dry finish. Uh, we also get Pomelo, which is kind of a relative of grapefruit, so it kind of gives a nice earthy citrus note to 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 Argin, and then Cardamom as well gives it a nice distinctive flavour. Uh, and then we built we built that out with the addition of orange peel, lemon peel, uh, coriander, orris root, and then of course for gin, it's mand- mandatory to have juniper in there as well so it's more of a citrus and spice style gin that that, uh, that Maharani ends up being it comes across in terms of flavour so it's been fairly well regarded so far we got uh, five awards from five com- competitions entered in our first year of operation so we've only been up and going since uh, June 2020 That's amazing and th- th- there are gins around the place there's Dingle Gin I know they're making gin on Cape Clear uh, is, it a, is it an easier spirit to craft than other whiskies, or perhaps uh, certainly it's different uh, I mean it's, it's more of a question of getting the, the botanical recipe down and, and going for the flavour profile you want when it comes to whiskey it's it's a, it's a brewing process first to, to produce a wash of 7% alcohol then you redistill that uh, two or three times depending on, on your process and then age it in cast for three years so obviously whiskey is a, a longer process while gin is, is can be done from start to finish in about a month uh, likewise absinthe is, is made in a very similar way to gin except the botanical mix is different for absinthe it's wormwood um, fennel and green anise so it gives a different flavour profile again so it's all just different production methods but they're you know they're all in a related family so to speak Okay now I'm I'm hearkening back to the old song um, gather up your pots and your old tin cans is it the mash the corn the barley and the bran and run like the devil from the excise man and keep the heat from rising barley. Uh, that was a song, of course, that detailed the illegal production of pochin uh, in, in this country. What has happened legally to allow distilleries such as yours to operate, obviously under licence? Yeah, so we we were licensed obviously by uh, the revenue commissioners and uh, then you know uh, the HSE from from a food point of view and so everything is very well regulated and everything is very very well monitored. So uh, it's in a an unlicensed premises and everything is is checked and double checked. So I'm not up in the in the backwoods doing it. So it's all, yeah. it's all quite legitimate. Yeah. Everything legitimate and you're employing and you're paying tax and uh, obviously you're exporting as well, which is very good for the country. Uh, we've got uh, Bagya online uh, three. Good morning, Bagya. Oh, sorry. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, you're there. Okay. Okay, Bagu, you hail from Kerala in India. You're a software engineer. What are you doing in the distillery business? <laughs> I just got in there. Like, you know, I just... Um, see, I moved to Ireland like nine years ago for a master's. After master's, I got a job. Then I met my husband, who is a distiller. So I'd say I just landed in distillery by chance. <laughs> and I'm, I'm right now loving it. <laughs> okay, is, is there a software engineering process in, 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 in the oversight, <laughs> computer-wise, of making the, the spirits? Uh, at the moment, I think uh, my skills help in the website part of the stuff and all yeah. those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it was a, a huge family effort as well, Robert, because your father, Brendan, had an extensive career in engineering and construction and mentored you in the development of the business. And I suppose in the refurbishment and development of this, uh, the distillery building itself, did he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're down in the old... Ford factory building so when we moved in it was a bit of a shell so uh, Father Brendan was instrumental in, in, in helping us get that uh, up, up and running and in ship shape uh, for, for for our newly launched tours and tastings which are, are launching today so that was an integral part of getting us uh, up and going and, and allowing us to install the equipment uh, just just prior to the pandemic as it happened we installed it in March 2020 and then launched the gin in, 
in June and now we're launching the Absinthe in the Visitor Centre. And the, the Absinthe has a reputation for being very strong, is that correct? Yeah, the, we bottle ours at 55%, but on the other hand, uh, one should enjoy it with a bit of water. Traditionally, you'll have three parts water to, and a bit of sugar in it. So what you're actually consuming after the addition of water then is, is a more reasonable alcoholic volume. You know? Okay. And of course, the reason you're on is that you've launched this tour. It's going to become not just an employment giver, uh, but a big tourist attraction as well. So anyone who wants to, uh, to take the tour, how, how do they get on it? Yeah, so uh, you can book, book on our book on our website rebelcitydistillery.com. Uh, our um, and at the moment we're running uh, tours Friday, Saturday, Sunday, twelve, two, and four. So there's also the possibility of of walk-ins if there's availability uh, at the distillery down in the Marina Commercial Park, which is uh, adjacent to the Marina Market on the Centre Park Road. Okay, you wanted to jump in there, Bagya. Um, yeah, we are. Right, uh, we can book it online, and it's available Friday, Saturday, Sunday. As Rob was saying, and walk-ins are available as well. So it's going to be a guided tour with two complimentary drinks, and people would uh, love, you know, get an overview on how the product is made, the industrial history of the building, and I think it's a uh, it's a great thing to uh, great kind of stuff to do uh, in city as well because we are the only distillery in Cork City. In um, so it's a nice place to be. Yeah, a, a lot of people will have taken the Jemison tour. It's really, really good, uh, especially yes. the tasting tour. But of course, you need to have a designated driver if you're going to uh, let, let a drop t- pass your lips. But this is going to be one that will offer city centre uh, tourists yes. uh, a quite convenient location. Absolutely. And it's boutique distillery as well. So, you know, you get to, you know, and it's a, it's a different kind of experience altogether. Okay, now the absent is distilled on site as well. This is in probably smaller batches, of course. Uh, how, how do you make absent? I'm, I'm really intrigued by all of the ingredients you're bringing all the way from India to make your gin. Yeah, so um, in terms of the absinthe, it's, it's actually made in a, in a fairly similar fashion to the the, the gin. Um, it's just the botanical mix is different. Uh, it, it's um, wormwood, which is... Um, the Latin word, which is absentia, so that's what gives absinthe its name. Uh, and then fennel and green anise. So in terms of flavour spectrum... The, so it's kind uh, of licorice absinthe, tasting, is it? Yeah, it, it ends up being more licorice uh, because the aniseed flavour is what predominates. Um, the other thing to note about absinthe is it, all that um, uh, these botanicals have a lot of heavy oils, so when the ethanol content in the bottle is high, like it's bottled at 55%, it, the bottle is clear and the liquid is clear, and then as you add the, in the water, as recommended, the absinthe goes cloudy because all those oils come out of solution. So there's a bit of... Oh, bit that's of what happens, is it? I was wondering what, what, yeah, what, that, yeah. why that used to happen with the raki and the sake and whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Raki, uh, again, is a very heavily aniseed flavour and that's the same process. Those oils are coming out of uh, solution when the water is added and you get that nice cloudiness. Kind of like ouzo as well, is it? Yeah, again, they're all kind of related um, spirits. Uh, in many ways, absinthe was kind of the grandfather of those spirits. And then when it was uh, banned for a period, uh, other aniseed flavors and spirits became more predominant, like pasties, fracky, ouzo, uh, mm-hmm. and those kind of spirits. I, I venture the name Maharani Gin has more to do with maybe Indian connections than anything to do with the <laughs> Rebel County, is it? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I better let back and answer that one. <laughs> yeah, so when we decided to make our first trip, it was important to us to blend both of uh, our cultures to a gin. And then I think gin was the right choice because gin is heavily inclined on spices and botanicals. And India is land of spices. And I come from Kerala, um, which is even in India known as land of spices. So it was the right choice for us. And we sourced our signature botanicals from a women's collective in Kerala. So that's why the gin is called Maharani, which means queen. Uh, so it's a kind of tribute to those hardworking women as well. And I think the name just brings it all together. Oh, very good. So, yeah. and, and, and of course, it's all fair trade, is it? Yeah. Uh, Robbie, would you like to add a bit there? Yeah, I mean, the, the Women's Collective, uh, yeah, it's all fair trade. We've we visited them personally in 2019, so they're really uh, excellently run outfit. Uh, they've all the mm. all, all the certifications, and they're in, they've also import their coffee into Germany as well, so they already yeah, have been doing a lot of... Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is, is it true that a contract such as you may have given them would, it would literally feed a village there? Well, no, these guys are quite successful. Like, I mean, they, 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 they run a very good operation, so they... I think we met them in you know, 2019. We went. We met them, and we we have seen how the whole collective works. How you know everyone runs a collective. We were pretty satisfied with how things were, and we were also happy with the quality of the produce they make. So it was the right choice for us to you know collaborate with them and make this gin. Okay, and do, do your ambitions as a distillery go beyond gin and absinthe? Yeah, we definitely do have plans to add up more products um, and Rob is already working on other spirits um, to add into our portfolio. You could invent one. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're kind of, well, the absinthe is, is the first in the what we call the Rebel City Distillery Series. So uh, we, we'll probably we'll be doing other small batch spirits in the future. So absinthe the first, mm-hmm. but we might do a Pomelo vodka, for example, will be another potential or Aquavit. So uh, that kind of branding gives us a bit of flexibility in terms of small batch to keep releasing, you know, interesting spirits onto the market. Yeah, I came across a very interesting vodka once called Gentleman Vodka. It was made in Poland and it was six times distilled. And when you think of the, you know, the market leaders at the top of the chain, like Grey Goose and that five times distilled, uh, a six time distilled vodka could, uh, could take on the market here. Uh, it, would, it would be a great importation opportunity, but I think you have to buy a container of it at a time. Uh, is that something you might look at making a premium level vodka? Um, potentially a flavoured vodka, like uh, using the pomelo that we get from the from the Women's Collective in, in Kerala. It's really high quality and it gives a nice flavour. It's uh, just giving the pomelo a kind of a hero uh, part of the spirit to let it shine. So I think that might be something that we might do rather than just a straight vodka. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously talking to an expert here. <laughs> and you have passion for the topic. Uh, Bagya, how, how can people book? Uh, can you give out the website? How much does it cost? Uh, so you, uh, our website is rebelcitydistory.com and uh, our tour costs 25 euros. Uh, so it's all available and uh, you can book it on. Uh, if you want to visit the uh, distillery, you can just book it on online, yeah. And, and walk-ups are possible, but not always guaranteed walk-ups to get in, I suppose. Walk-ups are possible as well, because we are just open now from today <laughs> for tours. So, of course, walk-ins are available as well. Uh, well, we, re- uh, yeah, we reach out everywhere. We reach out to a lot of companies every Friday for our Free Food Friday on the Neil Prendeville Show. So it's nice on a Friday to recognize a new business, a new tour, a new tourist attraction. Now, how many employees do you have? Uh, we've, five. Uh, five, is it? Yeah. 
Including us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Including yourselves. <laughs> yes. All right, well, all of the very best with Rebel Distillery, uh, Re- Rebel City Distillery, I beg your pardon, and the Rebel City Distillery Tour, which was launched yesterday evening uh, in your historic Dockland location in the repurposed Ford Car Factory. And uh, people, please bear in mind uh, that this is worth supporting. This is the first distillery in the city in 50 years. I know there are breweries and there are craft beers uh, and, and the like creating great employment here as well. But essentially, you are the first distillery in the city in 50 years. Correct, yeah, yeah in the city, yeah. yeah. I, I can see you're afraid to talk over your wife, uh, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> very, very diplomatic. <laughs> we should always be careful. Huh? <laughs> all, all the very best to you all and everyone yeah. everyone there at Rebel City Distillery and best of luck with the tours. Thanks, Abel. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thanks, Thank Rob. you. Thank Cheers. You. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye. Now then, uh, before we take a commercial break, I want to get around to a little bit of housekeeping because the uh, the decks need to be cleared. They are awash with uh, your communications uh, by text and by email uh, and some phone comments as well. On the politicians issue, uh, Mick, the politicians are so out of touch with reality. I suggest all TDs should exchange their homes and incomes for two weeks in order to actually get what every person living under pressure in this country is actually going through. There's a TV show where you have a wealthy family exchanging full houses and their incomes, etc. And it always shows the wealthier people thought they knew what it was like until they actually had to live under the constant pressure of lack of cash. I suggest our politicians and all in public life should actually try and exchange with a lower family. And their words, not mine. And uh, maybe they would actually get what it's really like uh, to live on or just above the poverty line. Uh, lower income family, I think that should have read. You don't have to be unemployed to be living on these marginalized lines. Um, uh, as regards talking the Lord, uh, my conversation with the new Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Deirdre Ford, she can listen all she wants, but she's got as much power as a dead battery. Uh, what's she going to do about the state of city people? Uh, the city people are afraid to go into. What is the Lord Mayor going to do about all the empty shops in town? It's an eyesore to the people. Uh, and I got this one too late, of course, uh, in the housekeeping, we'll call it out anyway. Uh, could you ask the Lord Mayor, uh, when there's a male Lord Mayor, his wife is called the Lady Mayoress. Uh, what's a Lord Mayor's husband called? When the Lord Mayor is a woman? Good question. That uh, from from Kieran. Uh, On the Lord Mayor, I'm just about ready to turn off. Same old BS as usual. Yes, we've loads of plans. That's our problem. Too many plans and not enough solutions. Uh, We elicited a huge reaction talking to Jerry on the Roe versus Wade. uh, Supreme Court decision to rescind that uh, 50 years uh, standing uh, law, get him off the radio. What the hell does he know about getting pregnant or having a baby or being a woman? Uh, the very reason why we all exist now is because we were born, not aborted. Uh, so this is very divided opinion on that topic. Hi, more men should man up and get the snip. Uh, women should have free contraception to reduce the need of abortion. Another texter says, I can't believe this, but I actually agree with this gentleman. And I'm a woman. Well done, Jerry. You've made it very simple. However, life is not that simple. But well done for being the voice of the unborn, says D in Blarney. Uh, hi, Mick. I noticed nothing was said by Jerry about men's responsibility for contraception. It's all the woman's fault, apparently, for getting pregnant. Men can use contraception too, and any man who does not want children ever can get a vasectomy. Uh, so says Kira. Uh, get him off the air, that ignorant man. I'm disgusted listening to him, and yet you're giving him airtime. Uh, what if a woman or girl was raped or abused? This is disgraceful. Please take that traditional-minded and considerate gaul off the air, not worth the air time. And uh, ask him about the mental implications of a raped woman having to raise that child or put the child up for adoption. Uh, and I'm reminded of words that uh, were uh, 
were written uh, by the late uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the topic um, because uh, she was uh, an, an eminent uh, Supreme Court judge. And uh, I'll go to the uh, commercial break uh, with the words of Supreme Court judge, now deceased Ruth Bader Ginsburg. By the way, if you have an interest in uh, the Supreme Court, uh, there is a fantastic, and I mean really, really brilliant movie uh, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg called On the Basis of Sex. On the Basis of Sex. Uh, well worth a look. And uh, here's Ruth Bader Ginsburg's words. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. It is a decision she must make for herself. When the government controls that decision for her, she is being treated as less than a full adult human responsible for her own choices. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy in for Neil until uh, this day week. And he'll return on Monday week. Aoife Hagerty is an investigative journalist with RTE. Good morning, Aoife. Good morning, Mick. Now, that job must put you across all sorts of topics and all sorts of uh, pain and hurt and scandal and deceit. And you really are at the coalface of journalism as, as an investigative journalist, journalist with RTE. Would that be correct? Yeah, well, I imagine those who are most hurt and upset by what has happened in those latest stories are the families who are at the centre of it and find themselves dealing with this news that came entirely out of the blue to them within just the past few months. And that news is that organs were sent for incineration at some hospitals around the country in contravention of the HSE executive guidelines, according to the findings of the National HSE Internal Audit, uh, Orti Investigates learned. That audit uh, follows an Orti Investigates report uh, last year that organs of 18 babies delivered at the COMH in Cork had been sent to Belgium in 2020 for incineration. What's the latest on the story? Well, this all stemmed, as you say, from that investigation at CUMH after their organs were sent abroad for incineration. And HSE organs, uh, HSE standards on this matter are very clear. When organs are retained at post-mortem for further examination, hospitals should support the next of kin in one two ways. They either facilitate the return of the organs to a family or they arrange for their sensitive disposal on behalf of the family by burial or cremation only. Now, we know that didn't happen in those 18 cases. There was a lot of outrage at that time. The Tisha Michael Martin told the Dáil that government had sought assurances from all hospitals across the country that the practice wasn't occurring elsewhere. But we understand now that a national HSE audit has found some evidence of that. And we're aware that two further cases have been identified in the audit and they relate to University Maternity Hospital Limerick and concern two babies born in 2019. One one of those is the absolutely tragic situation. Uh, one family whose baby son's brain was incinerated alongside surgical waste uh, in Belgium in April 2021. Don't 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 these babies these families deserve more than to be disposed of as surgical waste. Yeah, well, their their baby was still born, as you say, in 2019, and they agreed to a post-mortem because they wanted to try and understand why their baby had died. And they did give permission that organs could be retained if necessary, 
but their consent form clearly states that if any organs were to be retained, that they asked the hospital to sensitively dispose of them on their behalf. And that was to be in accordance with the hospital's own policy, which was via cremation or burial only. But actually, when they got their baby back after the post-mortem, there was never any mention that any organs had been retained. And so they assumed that they had buried their baby whole. And as I say, for three years, that was their belief until a few months ago in April, they got this call totally out of the blue from the hospital. They then were asked to meet with three senior um, staff from the maternity hospital in Limerick um, for an open disclosure meeting. And it was at that point, as you say, they were told that their baby's son brain had been retained. It was incinerated with surgical waste. But it's only in recent days that they've actually been able to confirm, that's the hospital to the family, that uh, just like the cases in Cork, that incineration took place in Belgium and happened on one of two dates in April 2021. Now, the, the harrowing statement from the mother who didn't want to be named, and of course we have to respect that, is, and I quote her, I can't believe this is happening to us when we thought our baby son was at peace. When I go up to his little grave now, I feel he's not there anymore. As you can imagine, they are just extremely upset. They can't understand why they were never told about this organ retention. They then went on to have another baby um, and as a result were in the maternity hospital again on quite a frequent basis, but nothing was ever said to them. And it's had a really re-traumatising effect on them and and that's part of the reason why they're finding it difficult to even speak about this publicly. But what they were told about, um, about this Uh, by the hospital when they questioned as to how it had happened. They were told that their baby son's body went off-site from the maternity hospital to University Hospital Limerick and it's there where the post-mortem took place and there apparently they had at that time a policy of incineration. Now that raises questions in itself, Mick, but it's also... um, raises questions for University and Maternity Hospital Limerick because we know that they received the baby's post-mortem report in December 2019 and it clearly states that the brain had been retained. So you have to ask then why did the maternity hospital not ensure that the organ was handled in accordance with the parents' wishes and in line with the hospital's own protocols at any time over the following 23 months during which time that organ lay in the mortuary at University Hospital Limerick before it was sent for incineration in February 2021. And that was two years after the baby had died. I want to quote the mum again, and, and, and this is particularly sad. To think when I was pregnant with my little girl, my baby boy's brain was still sitting somewhere without me knowing. And especially the fact that I was in the hospital every two weeks for checkups. Nobody ever told us anything. It's so frustrating. I've been referred to a psychologist because I feel like I've been going out of my mind at times with anger. How sad. I mean, the fact of the matter is we shouldn't be here because we had a major organ retention scandal in the late 90s and then early 2000s. There were a number of different inquiries done at that time, um, including the 2009 Retained Organs Report. And one of its key findings was that uh, the incineration of organs at Irish hospitals should cease with immediate effect. And yet here we are 13 years later learning that the practice has continued until recently at some hospitals here. Now I spoke um, with the author of that report, um, Michaela Willis uh, and she just completely dumbfounded that we're back at this position again some 13 years later and she's questioning, you know, how could we have learned lessons only to seem to have unlearned them 
so quickly. Yeah, her baby son's organs were attained during the UK organ scandal of the early 1990s. Um, and she added the findings of this report will have a heartbreaking impact on the families affected. Let's listen to some more heartbreak, Aoife. Uh, I want to bring some personal context to it. Uh, and I have here uh, some audio from Leona Birmingham, uh, whose baby Lee was sent to Antwerp in, in Belgium, ultimately to be incinerated. Stay with me, please. So staff should have known that past practices like that were no longer yeah. acceptable, but it happened nonetheless. Yeah, I think even getting the FOA, like a lot of that correspondence to, for me was shocking. Like to sit down at home and read that kind of shocked me as well. At, at what stage did you both know, find out yourself and Glenn, that, that Lee's organ had gone with clinical waste? I don't mean to upset you, but when we talk of clinical waste, we're talking about swabs and bandages and needles. It, and it wasn't until we got um, the FOA, so another FOA, I think it was during the summer when we read that it was placed in a bin, um, placed in a yellow bin um, and sent to Antwerp um, with um, other clinical waste and that was that was so hurtful, that was that was shocking. The, the, the yellow bag, was that all of the 18 babies' organs the, in the same bag? That's what we, we, don't, we don't know. We're, that's still a question that we haven't got an answer to. Because the babies were so, so tiny. Yeah, the, the, the amount of space taken up in a morgue mm-hmm. Or in stories would have been yeah that that's a it. Shoe like, box. It, w- it wouldn't have fit like they, I know they're saying it's COVID and they were the uncertainty around the pandemic they needed to clear the morgue but eating babies organs isn't going to clear make enough room for for even one <gasps> body like it was I think it was very insensitive um, for them not to even contact us pick up the phone and um, like in the FOA you can see that they knew. The graveyard was full in January, as far back well, as January. Why was incineration the, not an option here? Yeah, that, that's in Cork. It, yeah, or like that's it. Like they could have went and found somewhere else. I know they have been searching, but they obviously didn't try hard enough. Why not call the families yeah. and let them know that, that they were at least proposing yeah, to do that's this? That's it. And we could have gave our spoke, and we could have went and collected our son's brain. And Correct. like, I just don't think they were thinking straight when they decided to incinerate our little baby's organs. Uh, that's uh, from the past, of course. Neil Prendeville talking to Leona Birmingham about her tragic situation. And I'm talking to Aoife Hegarty, investigative journalist with RTE. Uh, we're still waiting on the Cork report, Eva. Is that correct? Yeah, you, you heard Leona Birmingham talk there about waiting for answers to all their questions. Well, it remains the fact that they are still waiting for those answers. In the aftermath of our report last year, the South Southwest Hospital Group, which is responsible for CUMH, said an external expert group was reviewing how those 18 incinerations happened. Now, it said they expected to have their report completed by last November. Yet seven months later, the affected families say they still have no indication when uh, that report will be published. Now, uh, I should add that in relation to uh, the, the latest cases um, at Limerick, the UL Hospitals Group has issued us with a statement and they've apolo- they say they've apologised to the families involved. They say they recognise that this has been a traumatic experience for them, which can only have compounded their grief and they're sincerely sorry for the distress that, that has been caused to them. They've confirmed that since October 2021, its hospitals are now in compliance with HSE guidelines for post-mortems. 
separately. The HSE has told us that the focus will actually that the audit will actually focus on 25 hospitals, um, and they'll make any recommendations for improvements as are, are required. And that audit is expected to be published within the next fortnight. Yeah, but one one is seven months after the promise, and yet some 13 years later, after the 2009 report called for an immediate end to the incineration of organs at Irish hospitals. It seems uh, that up to now, at least, it's still been going on. And, you know, the, the real hub of the issue here is is that people in grief who've lost uh, a, a newborn are, are probably allowing a post-mortem with some caveats about organ retention. Uh, and they're dealing with people they trust. Suddenly that trust is broken. Uh, their baby's body is violated and separated and, and, and then incinerated. That must be the hardest compounding of grief they will ever, ever experience. You know, when I spoke with Michaela Willis, that's exactly the point she made about how, you know, it's not only the fact that this makes them relive a trauma. Of course, these parents will never forget what happened to their children. But by having that funeral process or having the organs returned or dealt with sensitively, it allows them to somehow learn to live life as it is now. But it's not only that, it's the breach of trust. These parents had conversations with senior hospitals staff who they felt they could trust um, and who told them that a process would be followed that was not followed and now they have to deal with the consequences of that. And will there be more editorial output on this topic from RT Investigates, Siva? Yeah, we'll be covering it um, right to right news bulletins during the day. Okay. Thank you very much for coming on this morning. Eva Hegarty, investigative journalist with RTE. Thank you so much. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. And good morning to Janelle. Hi, Janelle. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm very good. It's kind of coincidental that that parking ad came up in the commercial break I know, there. I know, I just thought exactly the same thing. Yeah, uh, exactly. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's just a coincidence. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a good omen. I, I don't know. Listen, I know it's very hard to take on uh, a parking topic uh, after the weight of uh, retained organ incineration That's inter- kind of how interview. I felt, I just felt like <laughs> but let's like coming in the middle of something very <laughs> not at all. Very let, sensitive, you know. Let, let, let's give it our best shot. Paul Street Shopping Center. Uh, you want to park there? Uh, you you park there three or four days a week, but it's not I really. Do, yeah. It's not really up to purpose in in certain ways. Tell us about it. No. Um, well, the fifth floor um, parking machine has been broken for pretty much. I don't know. I'd say well over two or three months, possibly longer you have to pay on the fourth floor. Um, yesterday, the, the fifth and the fourth floor were broken, so you had to pay on the third floor. I, I didn't um, know that there was uh, that there was uh, individual pay units per floor. I always just oh, pay, at, there is, yeah. I pay. I pay at the lift at the bottom all the time. Oh, no, no, no. There's actually, you can pay You can pay on each floor, but obviously they're not working for quite a while now. So you've you got to walk up and down one or two flights of stairs to get a working pay Yeah, machine. there's only one lift working now. The middle lift, so both, so they, there's there's two lifts out of action. So basically, you have queues downstairs for people who obviously don't want to. Sometimes we go up and down, we walk up and down the, you know, the fifth, the five flights of stairs, we walk up and down them. But because um, I have a nine year old that that doesn't like going in lifts anyway, so that that's not a big problem for us. But just for elderly people, yesterday, yes, I just felt in, so in, in particular, there was elderly people there that you noticed yesterday. One of them with motor motor neuron disease. 
Yeah, she they got off on the third floor, and um, I was thinking afterwards I was with another lady on the fourth floor who also who also was quite ill. She had a degenerative um, disease as well, and she had a mask on. And we were saying afterwards that this couple got out on the third floor. The lady had a walking stick, and she was actually she was trying to stand up. And her husband was explaining to us that she was ill as well, you know. And we were saying afterwards we were very lucky that they were very lucky they got out on the third floor. Because if it was the fourth floor, they wouldn't have been able to pay on the fourth floor. They wouldn't have been pay on the fifth floor. They would have had to walk up and down the stairs, otherwise wait for one lift. Okay, so, it's, 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 not, it's not as if parking is is exactly cheap in any no, car park today. Saying, yeah. how, how much per hour is it now on the Pulse well, I Street? I think it's gone up to two seventy. I mean, the incentive that they had at the beginning, you know, they had an incentive all last year for the first two first hours. Two hours free. It's yeah. Gone. That's completely gone. The one hour was there for a while. That's completely gone. So I find myself now that it's like when you're when you're going to pay, it's two hours, but you might be two hours and a minute over, but they'll charge you the three hour slot. You That's know, how they make their money, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, constantly it's going up and going up. So it stops me coming into town as much as I used to. Um, but I just thought yesterday, I really, really felt sorry for the couple. I and the lady in the end, she went to the fourth floor. She saw the machine was broken, and there was a staff member fixing it, and she was very, very upset. Like she was irate. She was right to. Because she said, look, I'm not able to go up and down the stairs. There's one lift. You know, I have to go. And he just said, look, I'm really sorry. Like, it's not the staff's fault. We certainly know that. But he said, you have to get on to the Cork City Council. I said, this has been going on for months and months. It's very unfair. I mean, people in wheelchairs, children, you know, if you have a baby with you in a buggy. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Walk up five flights of stairs and carry a buggy up? I don't, I don't know. It's just... It seems to be getting worse and worse, to be fair. Okay, there's a law coming into force today regarding car insurance and price walking. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Yeah, where, where there's something on the It's sort of a loyalty tax or a loyalty punishment that you, you'll be charged more because an algorithm decides you won't question uh, about 100 or 120 quid extra on your car insurance policy, more, in fact, on your house insurance policy. And I wonder if that should also be taken into consideration for that, for that ridiculous situation where you're paying very expensive fees per hour and as you say, if you go one minute over, uh, yeah. you're, you're charged for the full hour. And they're renting that space again then. To me anyway. They're renting it again and, and, and that's double yeah. billing. Uh, that's and that's right. double billing on a council property. So, I, yeah. I, I, you know, okay. Even if they said, okay, if you go over one hour by a minute, you're going to have to pay for two. But if you're in there for two, uh, then it's a graded thing. The computer will decide uh, you're, you're paying so much per five minutes. So divide the hour by 12 uh, 100%. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I just I just thought I no I just thought I'd highlight it because my heart went out to the lady yesterday genuinely. I just thought um and my 9-year-old said it to me, "Oh my god, mom, what if what if that lady had got out on the fourth floor?" Now the lady that we were with was was quite sick as well and we offered to go down and pay for her ticket and obviously she was probably nervous, you know, with people taking their cards or taking money, which I understand, but she was saying that she'd come down with us. So she was she was she was attempting to walk down the stairs in the end she had to go back up and wait for a lift for the one lift to bring her back up and down because she couldn't do the walk i just thought it was just beyond a joke like we're not, we're not blaming the staff here in any way but cork no, city council no, certainly not. I mean, quick I enough to raise prices really. you know when, yeah the prices have gone up and i think since the prices have gone up it's actually the services got worse i mean i i find paul street i don't go to the other the other car parks um, i just find the north main street too narrow um, I don't know personally. I mean, I think the Q car park is the other one. I think it's three fifty an hour there. So I always thought Paul Street was more central. 
it was easier for town. It was easier, you know, and, and carrying shopping and stuff. Yeah, the Elysian and uh, and the City Hall car parks are, are are very good, but they're not that central compared no, to, for not. instance, the Grand Parade car park. Not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Especially if you have kids, I think. But um, I just thought yesterday broke my heart with the elderly lady. I and as I say, the staff when she went over and said it about the machine, about the fourth floor, he said, "Look, I agree." This is going on for months. He said, you need to get onto the Cork City Council. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with the staff. He said it would actually be better if, if you did complain to the Cork City Council. Yeah, well, this, this, this is a good platform for getting onto the Cork City Council. Yeah, that's the way I thought. <laughs> Just say it because, I mean, I could, I could email or send in a letter, which I'm sure there's, there's hundreds of people doing, but I thought if I highlight it to yourselves, it's not for me, really. I mean, I'm, Jesus, I'm in my 40s. I'm okay to walk up and downstairs. But it's just, it, it's for people with buggies, it's for people with, with, you know, people in wheelchairs, it's for elderly people that I saw yesterday, people that have medical conditions that can't do it. I just, I just felt it was awful yesterday, to be fair, you know. Okay, so we're appealing to Cork City Council. You're quick enough to take away the, the two-hour incentive, absolutely, the one-hour incentive. Absolutely. Quick enough They're to quick raise enough prices. To take away the incentives, exactly, and quick enough to raise the prices. And to be honest with you, there's... There's a lot of, especially coming out of the car park as well, I found that a lot of the time the machines, you know, when you're exiting as well, there's a lot of problems with those as well. I feel so sorry for the staff. I've been there so many days. I should have a loyalty card. I've been in there for a while. There's another good idea. Uh, exactly, so let, let, exactly. let's pose the question. Uh, how can you continue to take money, uh, and it, it isn't cheap parking anywhere, uh, and of course that issue of uh, the extra minute will cost you the full hour, that needs to be addressed. It's We've contacted crucial, yeah. the City yeah, Council. Yeah, they're definitely doing it, yeah. We've contacted the City Council, uh, Janelle, uh, in this regard and on the condition of Paul Street Car Park and uh, the, the inquiry has been received and we are now awaiting a response. We've asked, how can you leave lifts and pay machines broken for months? Correct. I hope they don't blame Brexit or COVID or the war. Oh, sure, look, everything is blamed on that, you know what I mean? But look, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I just, I, I, I don't believe it can carry on like that, to be honest with you. I mean, what I saw yesterday myself horrified me with the elderly people I just thought oh my god imagine somebody with a wheelchair imagine you know it's just it's it's shocking I yep. mean the fifth floor has been like that for months enough has been and charged for the facilities please put the facilities in working order absolutely That's the... I agree with you yep. 100% thanks 100%. Janelle you have a lovely name what's no, the no what's, what's the origin of it have a nice weekend what's the origin Sorry, of the name my name oh my <laughs> I've had all my life um, it's pronounced J-A-N-E-L-L-E um it was actually a doll that before I was born, my uncle brought back from France, but it was spelled G-Y-N-E-L. So they just went with the unusual spelling to save my life. But um, Janelle, yeah. Sounds like but a I perfume. I always say gin and tonic. Sounds I always say G-Y-N for gin and tonic, you know. It sounds like a perfume. It does. Try Janelle. Thanks, yeah, Janelle. I was in England for a long time. I used to work for British Airways, so they always called out the wrong name when I was called on standby, which was very <laughs> funny. I pretend sometimes it wasn't me if it was a flight I was being called out for, you know, so they didn't want to do... All right. Thanks, Janelle. Take care. Have a good day. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Free Food Friday on the Neil Prendival Show. Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool feeding 15 people today somewhere in our broadcast range. Someone's going to win. Winners get a selection of starters consisting of chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, uh, a selection of mains including chicken wraps, chicken pitas and beef burgers. Kind of like Homer Simpson here now going... All meats are basted in their famous medium Piri Piri sauce and they also throw in... Piri salted fries, rice and the newest side waffle fries, Piri mayo, garlic uh, Piri mayo and build your own cheesecake. What an offer. Kinder Buenos sauce, Kinder pieces 
Nutella and lots more. Dermody Dental Practice on Evergreen Road, Turners Cross, working hard, keeping people smiling. I'd love if they won it from Nicola. Free Food Friday for all the hard-working staff at Union Hall Smoked Fish. Gavin and all the gang at Arkill Quarry and Cross Barry because they're a great bunch to work with. Good morning, Mick. Impact Ireland Metals in Glanmire for some roosters, please. Sales and warehouse staff there will be delighted to share this amazing lunch from Lisa. Bulmers, Ireland, 22 Eastgate Drive. It's Eileen's birthday today. Happy birthday, Eileen. That came in from Brian Higgins. Sean Buckley in Audi in Bandon uh, Road and Kevin Buckley in Boston Scientific. Thanks, Mick. Hey, Sean, what did the German cowboy say? Audi. All at Joe Crowley Oils in uh, in Shannon. Bridgewater Homes in Rathcormac would love to win. And Free Food Friday for all the girls at AME Beauty in Blackpool. It's uh, two and a half minutes to 11. News is on the way. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And with Roosters Piri Piri Free Food Friday, a couple more mentions. We've loads to get through. Roosters, please, for Ava Crowley in the Breast Check Clinic in the Infirmary Road. Blockwall Developments in Ballandlana would love to win. Ross Creedon, specialist haulage working out of Roadstone Ballancolic. We're hungry men. Hi, Red FM. Free Food Friday for us here in Glen Heights Pharmacy. Working hard for the weekend. We enter every week as well. For Grace and Hilda and Ava, happy to share with our neighbours here. Sylvia and staff at Patty Powers and Grona Broher. Maeve O'Mara from the Weight Wellbeing Clinic in Mallow to be shared amongst clients. And friends. Uh, Shona and the big uh, and the gang in boots on Half Moon Street. Uh, we'd love this rooster's feast to brighten up our Friday. AP Vaughan Recycling in Tower. One more for now. Free Food Friday, please, for the excellent, very hard working staff in the endoscopy unit in the Matter Private. Uh, it is Free Food Friday, and you can text 0868 104 106. And I'm joined on the line. Uh, by a person uh, whose audio with Neil Prendival we played uh, in that interview with Aoife, the investigative journalist from uh, RTE. Good morning, Leona Birmingham. Hiya, how are you? Good. Now, there is still no report into incineration of organs in Cork. This is about seven months late now, is it? Yeah, yeah. So we have got, I mean, five different dates. And just last week I emailed to ask, have we got any timeline, any date? And we have nothing. Okay. Tell us your story, Leona, for those who who don't know or who may not have heard the original interview with Neil. Can you tell us your story from the beginning? Yep. So um, I had twin boys in September 2019 and sadly at one day old, um, my son Lee passed away. So we decided to donate his organs for medical research under the impression that we were getting his organs back after they were complete with him. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. Was so this was this made, made clear in your permission, in your permission uh, yeah, to so, release the organs? Yeah. So we signed consent forms, and um, we signed that we wanted them back after they were done with them. Um, and the only two options were to have his organs returned to us, or for them to be buried um, in a burial grounds in a respectable manner. And unfortunately, none of them two things happened. Um, it was. In lockdown, May 2020, that we got the phone call from the hospital to say that we can't have our son's organs back. And what we believed was because they were contaminated with COVID. Um, and it wasn't until we kind of went digging around and asked questions that the hospital finally agreed to meet with us in November 2020. And that's when we found out that our son's brain was incinerated abroad. Abroad, not even here. Yeah, not yeah, not here. So um, they told us it was Antwerp, and it was more from our own digging that we 
done Freedom of Information Act and we got his medical records um, released to us. Not all of them, but, but some of them. And that's when we kind of found out that there was 17 other babies and that his brain was placed in a yellow bin and incinerated abroad with other medical waste. Um, it was just, it was heartbreaking for us. It just beggars believe that anyone could think that that was an okay thing to do. Yeah, that, that's more it. It's more who who thought, okay, let's let's do this. I mean, the excuse we're getting at the moment is that they wanted to make room in the morgue for the pandemic that was supposedly approaching. Um, and when you think of it now, even 18 small little babies' organs, they're not going to make room for not even one body. So um, we're just not accepting that excuse. That's an excuse, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. There, there's been some progress for the families uh, in, in University Maternity Hospital Limerick um, but you're still waiting here and you can't really bring closure to anything can you? Yeah, that's it we can't we can't grieve for our son I feel um, we still don't know exactly the ins and outs of what happened how it happened why exactly it happened and we need the support so that we can accept what happened and move on and grieve for our son in peace I mean, it's it's over two years since since we found out, and we're carrying this around with us for two years, and it's just getting bigger, like and bigger. It's, there there seems to be no end in it for us. If if you talk to Lee at night time in your prayers or whatever, um, do you think he realizes you you what you did? You did for the best and for the best intentions. I feel like it took it took the goodness away. I mean, we wanted to help any other family that was in our position we wanted to know more of what happened our son that's why we carried out a post-mortem we agreed to carry out a post-mortem it just took took the goodness away I mean I I went through months and months we're still going through it like the we're angry at ourselves we were angry at the hospitals uh, we had so many I questioned myself why why did I do it like why it took the, good, the goodness completely away from it um, and I mean I have his twin brother that is going to grow up and want all these answers and I just, I blamed myself for so long because I was the one that signed that consent form. I was the one, um, obviously with Glenn, it was Glenn's wishes as well, but I just blamed myself more because I, I felt like I pushed for it more than him. Um, I just wanted to do some good, some goodness come out of our son passing. And I felt like this, if this can help another family, let, let's do it straight away. I didn't, I didn't second guess it. Um, but now I'm thinking maybe I, I jumped on it too fast. But but you are blameless. You are blamelessly on a Birmingham. You did what you did, uh, you know, because you're, you're kind-hearted. You wanted to help other people. And, and maybe the results of the post-mortem uh, would have shed some light and maybe saved other lives. Uh, ironically now, of course, and in, in this cruel, cruel twist of fate, um, how can you bring closure to this situation? Will the report even do that? Yeah, I, like I wanted to do right by, by both my sons and I just felt like, part of me left left Lewis down, part of me left Lee down and that's something that I'm trying to work on and it's absolutely impossible when this is still open up in the air that we have to carry on everyday life, be mammies and daddies and still have this hanging over us that we cannot get closure, we can't go and get counselling or therapy and it, there's still no end to it, we can't move on from it, we can't get the help that we need to be able to process what happened because we don't know what, what yet is to come. I mean, no one expected for another hospital for it to happen in and it's just all the what-ifs and that's the, what's coming out now is more bad news and it's just very hard to accept for us. 
Okay. And are you in touch with any of the other families in Limerick? Do you know if they feel a little bit vindicated by the uh, yeah. the, the open report that uh, that more or less confirms what happened? Yeah. So one woman um, reached out to me, and she just really asked how how we are coping. How did we get this far? And um, like, it's for me. It's I'm just gutted that I know exactly how another family are feeling. Um, and I wish I had the answers to give her. I wish I was able to tell her everything will be okay in the end, but it's not a positive road. I mean, we're still on this road two years later. I wish I could I could give her something, but I can't give her nothing. Like, we're not good examples because I know the fight she has ahead of her, and that, for me alone, is just heartbreaking. Okay, what was, was Lee's post-mortem, was it mandatory, or did you have to agree to it, or could you have avoided it if you could turn back time? Yeah, so we could we could have avoided it, but I, as I said, um, it was his twin brother. We didn't know exactly what the cause of that. We didn't know was it going to affect his twin brother. Um, and for our for our own closure, we wanted to know what happened if we go and have more kids. How likely is this same thing to happen? So there was a lot of answers we wanted for ourselves. Um, so we could we could have went ahead and not had a post-mortem um, but I felt like we needed it for some closure Yeah and just in case something could be identified for his brother uh, that you know that would assist in any future medical procedures there uh, if, they, if they were needed so we've 18 families now mm-hmm. affected by the incinerations at the CUM, CUMH are you guys in touch is there any sort of support group that yeah. you're speaking with each other yeah, so we, um, me and um, seven other families we have, we're all in touch with each other. We just protested two weeks ago outside the hospital and I just feel like we're not really being taken serious. Um, and no matter what we do, we're, we're just being ignored, basically. All humanity has been lost in it. I think it's just legal issues now and that's it. We're just numbers. We're not grieving parents anymore. We're not treated as if we're grieving parents. There's no support from the hospital. The communication is very, very slow and very copied and pasted from all of the families. The only thing that's different is our names. So we feel like we're just fighting a losing battle, really. It's great to have the support of the other families and that we can text them and know that they're, they're there. But it's heartbreaking knowing that we're, we're all going through this and we're all feeling the same way. And none of you know, and I suppose we'll never know, if if the eighteen sets of organs of, of various organs, I imagine, were were put together in one medical disposable bag, or whether they were treated, uh, you know, with some reverence and given some separation. Yeah, that, that's exactly. It's there's so many un, unanswered questions we have. We don't know, like, does the company that took the organs even know they they did transport organs abroad? Um, just to read alone that it was placed in a yellow waste bin is is heartbreaking. Like that, that's our beautiful son that was born, and he was loved and wanted so much. And just to hear that somebody could think that this was okay to place our son's brain into a, a bin and just disregard it like waste. It's it's a very hard thing to accept. Mm-hmm. Where do you go from here? I know you're protesting. Uh, I know that the report which was meant to be completed in October, November 2021, uh, still isn't out. There isn't even a draft report. Um, is, is there a legal route for you here? I don't want to prejudice any future case now, but are you considering legal action for the trauma you're suffering? At the moment, uh, we're just focusing on on the now. We want answers. Now we need answers before we even look 
from day one for me it was finding out answers and making sure this can never ever happen again and here we are still with no answers still with nothing and um, we have been in touch with patients advocacy service who are absolutely outstanding um, and they've supported us along the way legally really um, telling us how to apply for a freedom of information act to be putting in complaints um, and that's really as far as we got Okay, and it's the South Southwest Hospital Group, which is responsible for the CUMH. Uh, have you had any recourse there? Any any positivity from them? No positivity. Um, when we did decide to speak publicly in September twenty one, when we first done our investigate to IFA, that's when we started getting contacted from the people above, I suppose, um, and they were just writing to us. I think trying to keep us quiet more than anything. Um, tell promise enough that this will be done and that will be done and once it went public that was the last we heard from them. Okay, and uh, I suppose what's to stop? Uh, well, I suppose to honesty, uh, honesty would be the would be the answer. What's to stop the report from saying uh, your baby's brain, Lee's brain, was was treated with uh, with separation from the other organs, was respectfully uh, respectfully placed uh, in, in in a proper uh, receptacle and and was disposed of accordingly. Uh, you know, with your wishes, albeit uh, I, 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 it beggars belief uh, why this could not have happened locally and why it had to be sent to Antwerp of all places. Yeah, so we did read um, the Freedom of Information Act and we saw how that the burial ground was full and they tried um, three different burial grounds to try get, but cost came into consideration. Cost? Yeah, cost, um, the price of it came into consideration. So that was the biggest reason why our son's brain was incinerated abroad because of cost. Cost? Yeah, so... I, so that's a I, huge I, slap in the face itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't really have much faith in the hospital after reading after reading most of what we read. Um, I have very, very little faith. Um, I'm just... I, I don't know what word to use, but I'm, we're waiting patiently for this report and it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It feels like it will it will never come. And I don't know, will I ever be ready to read to read it? But I think we need to read it for some closure. And But I'm dreading what's going to be in it, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be almost, I, I suppose, anti-climax is probably the wrong word, but when you get it in your hand, to actually force yourself to be able to read it is going to take Herculean strength, I think. Yeah. And that's it, like, it's so much, there's, we're trying to rebuild our lives, we're trying to grieve for our son Liam, we're trying to bring Lewis up in a happy, healthy home environment and try to plan a first holiday this year and we just don't know when this report is going to land on our doorstep. So we're trying to plan our first family holiday, we're trying to, Lewis is starting preschool in September and and we're just wait, waiting for this report and we don't know, we have no date, we have nothing. So we're trying to rebuild our lives and move on when it's nearly impossible. So when when, when you buried Lee, and where is Lee buried? So he's buried out in St. Oliver's with um, Glenn's mother, um, so he's with his nana. Uh, and when you buried him, uh, I don't want to get too graphic here now or upset you, mm-hmm. D- did you believe you buried him whole? So I knew that we were after donating his organs. I didn't know what organs exactly they took, but I knew I was getting them back. Now, we had other wishes for his organs. Uh, we kind of wanted to do something at home, have a little place at home for, for him. And um, I know that uh, we can you can get jewellery made out of ashes. And like we had so many, we thought of so many different things that we could do. And we were excited to be able to get another little piece of him back and have him at home with us. 
Yeah, because at that stage he was buried. Yeah, because at that stage he was buried and I, we didn't want to go back out and, I mean, reopen the grave because to us, I think it was a very hard thing for us to do. But we did have wishes to get him back and to do nice things and have a piece of him at home with us and have something for Lewis when he got older. Mm. And that now has been taken from you. You'll never have that chance. Yeah, that that's exactly it. And that's bad enough of the way it happened, but just to accept that we don't get that little piece of him home with us is, is heartbreaking in itself for us. Well, the fact that you're fighting for results, the fact that you're coming on the radio not once now but twice, uh, I, I think Lee, if he's looking down, will know that Mum is doing the very best for him. Uh, and I don't I think in any, so. any way he would blame you because what you did was a selfless act uh, of charity, really, for future generations and future children uh, and, and, and to protect his brother, which, which I'm sure would, would be what he would have wanted. Yeah, I, I really hope so. I think that's one of my biggest fears that... Oh, did I do right by both my boys? Did, did we do right by both of them? And will they understand where we're coming from? And I, I want Lewis to know we fought. We've done every possible thing we can to get these answers and to try make the wrong right. Yeah. Listen, you did 100% right in the moment. Uh, the, the fact the fact that uh, right was not done by your decision is, is totally separate from, from what you did. You did absolutely 100% right in the moment. I, 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 you know, for so long I believed I didn't, um, and it took a lot of work for me to get back to where I am now to, to see the right, the good in, in what I've done again. So, uh, it has been a long road. It has been a long, tough two years, um, and hopefully we will get some closure soon. It won't go on for much longer. But as I said, I, I'm losing faith the longer it's going on. Yeah, every day must seem like an eternity. But I, I, I think Lewis will grow up knowing that his mum loved both twins equally yeah, and yeah. did her very best, for, for, you yeah. know, did right he in the moment the and, and, and when, when things went wrong, did right again uh, in, yeah. in, in trying to bring closure to everything. Yeah, he knows about his brother and we speak about him daily, like he's a big part of our lives um, and when we went protesting, we brought Lewis and I think he was the number one supporter walking up and down with his sign with his brother's picture on it and um, so I can't wait show him this when he's older and say look this is what we done we did fight we didn't just accept their first answer and um, to know that we did put up a good fight and he was part of it also Alright um, and we'll make this uh, recording of this interview available to you if you want to keep it as part of, of, of that trove of memories that, that will maybe serve Lewis in the future would you think? Yeah of course we have a memory box at home and I, it's, it's filling up now with all the news articles and everything because I, I really want Lewis to know exactly how much we put into it. And he will. Leona Birmingham, thank you for being brave enough to come back on the air. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Time to speak. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Friday morning, 11.27. Good morning from The Neil Prendeville Show. A couple of Free Food Friday mentions before we get to our next topic. Free Food Friday for everyone at KGW. Uh, Motors in Middleton, Ballancolic Credit Union. Hi guys, Cork Distribution in Little Island. Roosters for Amanda and the rest of her team in ESB in Wilton. Lunch please for Gemma and the gang on Level 1 Victoria Hospital 
orthopaedic trauma ward. You're doing a great job. Make all the patients are happy listening. Uh, you're keeping them going. Well, good morning to everybody uh, in the Victoria Hospital, whatever level you're on, but especially level one. Roosters Piri Piri for the hardworking porters of the South Infirmary. I'm texting on behalf of my sister, Maria, Maria Toomey who doesn't have WhatsApp. She works with Aramark uh, to pay for her roosters nearly every night. She's their biggest supporter and absolutely loves roosters, and so does her four kids. If anyone deserves free food from roosters, it's 100% her. That's from Maria Toomey. Free food, uh, please make for all the lads of uh, Vision Construction Site in Grattan Street, especially our poor gate man, Paul, who's moaning he's starving. Cheers, says Ted. And uh, there is uh, another one. Free Food Friday, Megan Oxford, uh, HSE, would love to win the food for us all hard-working staff in the Environmental Health Department. And I'd love to nominate the staff in Enable Ireland Harbour Lights for all of their hard work and for the fantastic Gilead volunteers that are on site today helping out in the rain. Back to our phone lines and Damien Shreenan is the host of uh, the Other Two Amigos podcast, the only unofficial Cork City FC podcast and joins us on uh, line one. Uh, Good morning to you, Damien. Good morning, Mick. I'd be killed now. There's the other three amigos. There's actually one fella. He's very quiet, but there is three of them. <laughs> there's three, is it? Okay. <laughs> the other three oh, amigos. Yeah. Okay, sorry That's about that. It. Yeah, <laughs> you're correct. I, I had two on the screen, and I was wondering why it wasn't three. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, slightly sensitive and a small bit of controversy, but you broke a story last week that the Cork Schoolboys League under-14 uh, Kennedy Cup, they beat Waterford 2-0 in the final at UL, uh, and they were offered the opportunity to parade their cup around Turner's Cross. Tell us the story. Yeah, look, I suppose it was in the programme last Friday um, that the Kennedy Cup t- winning teams that was, were invited to parade the, the trophies in front of the cross last against um, Cove. So there would have been you know, two or 3,000 people. It was in the program notes, and they didn't appear at half time. So we we convinced two people, and it turned out that the they were it was declined. Basically, the school boys said no, absolutely not, not happening. Um, so we just found it a bit strange um, that you know found it strange that why would you stop you know these kids from having an unbelievable memory? I mean, they're absolutely fantastic. They've won the Kennedy Cup for the first time since 1989, um, and like you'd wonder why you're denying kids from getting these memories and stuff. So we started looking into it. And it turns out it's right. And we, we contacted the club, we contacted the schoolboys League to find out, you know, why someone would take away something like this from children where they could be, you know, get the applause that they should get in front of two to 3,000 people. Um, and obviously that's what, we, that's what we ran with. And it, it, it turns out it was true that, you know, that there's people in the, the, the schoolboys League basically don't want... Any, you know, they don't want anything to do with with the club, but with Cork City, we said, uh, due to some politics about, you know, taking players and, you know, they, they, obviously Cork City would have an under 14s, under 15s, and under 17s, and the issue is that, you know, so the, so the, kind of so the clubs, clubs, clubs are feeling that they're losing players to this national league, is it? Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, it just seems to be some sort of politics. Some people in suits have denied kids the right to parade and get the plaudits that they should have from winning a national cup. Um, because, and look, this that's the whole, this is all the politics. Like, the FAI basically have the National League and we say Cork City's licensed to play. They must have an under-14s, under-15s team. Um, now, they're, they're kind of new. It used to be 17s and 19s, but recently it's been under-14s and 15s. So they've been obviously trying to get, they want to get the best players from Cork and to the Cork, you know, for them. And the, you've got the clubs then, uh, well, you've got the, 
some some clubs wouldn't be happy. Obviously, obviously you're not going to be happy, I suppose, if your best players are going. But at the end of the day, these are all adults not thinking of the of kids. You know, surely a, if it, you know a child should be able to play at the highest level. If he's good enough to play at the highest level, he should be able to because that's the only way he's ever going to get better. And what we're kind of doing is we're stop. Like we're we're all on about all oh, Ireland in the World Cup and Ireland in the Euros. If we don't allow kids to play at a higher level than than they should be, then it's never going to happen. Like, it just seems to be so much politics still around. The, you know, all these little, you know, local leagues and the local committees like that. I mean, John he was taken out of the FAI, but it still seems that there's still a bit of that kind of stuff going on around. And right. it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace for for the kids of Cork, and uh, we're just we were just so upset that these kids couldn't uh, like the the club put out the, the Cork City put out the invitation. Uh, and it was just denied. These kids were denied the chance to be applauded by two and a half thousand people, three thousand people. Okay, our our producer Kevin Galvin is a died in the wool Cork City fan. Is across across the story yeah. as well. What's your feeling on all of this? Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you um, pointed that out because I just wanted to make sure that everybody listening knows this. I suppose maybe I'm not coming from the most neutral point of view. I mean, I completely understand there's people in local clubs do incredible work with kids, um, but I mean, look, John Fallon, the article in the Examiner, I think you have in front of you, Mickey, kind of sums it up nicely. Like, there's been an ongoing dispute, I suppose. The f- it seems that one of the is- big issues that the league has is not so much that players are going to Cork City, but that you know they were they were taken by City in February for preseason when they could have still been playing with their clubs when the league didn't start until July. So you know, I suppose clubs feel aggrieved because they've had their best players taken from them, and now they're with Cork City doing kind of preseason. They're playing friendlies as opposed to actually being involved in competitive action, given the fact that the league is a summer season. So, I mean, I can understand both sides of the debate. Whether that should mean that that fourteen, fifteen year olds shouldn't have the opportunity to parade the, their cup in front of thousands of fans, uh, personally, uh, like it, it seems, it seems a bit short sighted. It seems that um, those young guys it would have been a fantastic experience for them. Um, but I can, I can also understand the tension from local clubs when you know you you work very hard to try and bring a young player up, and all of a sudden, then in their eyes, he's being taken. They're spotted them. and recruited. They're spotted and recruited. But look, if you look around all the other countries around Europe, you know, when you hear about academy players in Arsenal, you know, they don't go from Boreham Wood directly to the Arsenal first team. They don't go from the Alain League club directly to the Manchester United first team. You know, these players who are really playing at the top, top level go through academies. They go through... Um, you know, they get taken as as 12 or 13 year olds and then they get the very best coaching, the very best, uh, you know, resources given to them. Um, and it's it seems to me that the whole structure of football in this country really should be made in the, in the fact like there shouldn't be a tension between Cork City and local clubs. I can tell you from supporting City for years and years, the club is certainly not anti-local football. It's very much in support. You see local clubs and local teams, young guys and girls playing on the pitch at half time. They, they, you know, there's tickets given, tickets given to clubs. You know, buses are booked for cup finals. Like, but having the clubs a point though that uh, you know if they're taking their star players away for what they're calling meaningless friendlies, five or six months before the actual national league competition starts, maybe they don't have such a big problem with the national league participation of their players, but uh, the fact that they're being taken away for extended periods of time. Yeah, hundred percent, and that I can completely understand from local clubs when you see players like that, and really. 
you know, young guys want to play matches. Kids want to play matches. They want to they want to be competitive. You know, their their training is all built towards matches. So, um, and it's a huge honor to represent Cork City. It's something I was never talented it's enough to do. A huge honor to represent your club. Absolutely. Well, uh, I would say. Look, look at the GAA. It's probably club before county, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I I think the the big problem here is when in the GAA, for example, you play for a local club. If you get called up to Cork it's seen as a massive achievement for their club to have one of their players playing inter-county. They support them in every way they can. They see it as a, as a brilliant representation of their club, that they're doing something right. Local clubs in Cork, I don't think, have that same feeling when it comes to Cork City. Really, it should be structured in a way that those clubs are properly um, you know, compensated by the FAI that you know there should be some sort of integration in terms of like young players should want to play for Cork City clubs should want their players to play for Cork City and play on the national level like we see in the GA but I suppose in the GA it's slightly more less complicated there's no such thing as professionalism you know they're they're like Cork GA don't financially benefit they can't sell those players on to other clubs so it's a little bit more complicated mm. than the GA example I think Okay, a little too complicated for my lack of sporting <laughs> knowledge anyway Damien um, so you, you broke the story last week has there been a bit of a reaction a bit of a kickback I want to give everyone absolutely a fair huge. shout here if I can Absolutely huge I mean we did contact the, the school boys league and you know they, they basically told us to talk to the club you know they didn't give us an answer because you wanted to have a, you know two sides to it you know on our social media we've had we've had we've had parents coaches and teams uh, contacting us just you know saying thank you for speaking up um, you know that they, they, apparently the, the kids and the, the, the winning teams kids they didn't even know that there was an invitation sent out so it was just denied on their behalf before anyone had a chance um, to, to attend you know look I can, obviously the messages we've got there you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, like I suppose one thing is that uh, one of the big ones was that you know the the Cork City we say were taking some of the top players around. A lot of the smaller teams got in touch with us and said it has happened for years where the top schoolboy teams were taken and the the lower teams and they've been you know and now it's happening to them and they don't like it. You know, like I suppose there seems to be so much politics going on that it, it's it's frightening the, the stuff we've been told. You know, I just think we just want like. We were just got so annoyed, um, you know, and I know that the club, the Cork City, had left that invitation open for those those kids to be able to parade the trophy. There's a match on July 15th at Galway at home, and this should be a really, really big match. And I know that us at the other Three Makers podcast, and I think most other people out there would urge the Cork School Boys League to allow those winning teams to parade their trophy at halftime. Okay, I have a response here from... From Cork City FC. We were delighted to see the success of the CSL underage teams over the past few weeks. It's clear to see there is fantastic work being done at all ages across CSL clubs over the last number of years and that underage football at all levels is thriving. Development of players should be the first priority, but it's great to see these players receive national recognition. We wrote to the CSL committee to extend our congratulations on their success and I can confirm that we did extend invites to the CSL committee, players and coaches to attend a game as our guests and parade their trophy at half time. That invitation remains open and we hope to see the players, coaches and committee members at Turner's Cross in the near future. Regards, Ian Buckley, Chief Operating Officer and Club Secretary of Cork City FC. Yeah, and Mick, look, I, I just on the back of what Damien had said as well, I'd also, it would be great 
because I think there are genuine concerns within the Cork School Boy League and I do think it's a, a conversation that needs to be had generally about whether local clubs are getting the support they should and the compensation they should whether that should be coming from Cork City I don't think so like it seems to me that the FAI should be you know, encouraging local clubs to send their players to national level in the same way that the GAA do. I'm sure clubs get kickbacks from the GAA to have their players playing inter-county because when you look at Cork City as an entity, like when you look at GAA clubs, they're, they have access to grants. They're essentially considered a, a voluntary organisation. Like the local League of Ireland clubs are run as local businesses. They have staff, they have overhead. So mm-hmm. it's a difficult, it's a difficult financial situation for them to be in. Um, I would love to see the FAI sit down with clubs produce some sort of a plan that enables local clubs to be happy to give their players to League of Ireland teams and not get in their way and then for those League of Ireland clubs to be able to give back to those local communities in a structured way as opposed to an ad hoc way so everyone feels that they're benefiting because ultimately when you have a very talented young player those talented young players should be given access to the very very best of resources and those clubs that have helped them all the way up should be given the the compensations they deserve so I can understand the schoolboy league's frustrations particularly in this case with players being taken away from their clubs earlier than they probably should have in my eyes but as Damien said those players should be out really parading their trophy and they should get their moment in the sun Okay, Damien? Yeah, absolutely you know uh, and people have said that is there a way where everyone could sit down and just sort this out for for the sake of you know the the kids playing football you know I, I suppose their well, their well being, and, and to be able to take an opportunity like this, you know, can they sort out the politics that's going on at the moment? Possibly, but I mean, the whole thing about, you know, you'd see, I suppose, uh, Conor McCarthy is a great example, actually. So he's recently signed for Barnsley in England, and, and everyone knows he, he came up through the, the ranks of of uh, Cork City, but his previous team was Bairn United. Now, Barney United got full recognition for what they had done for Connor up until he moved to Cork City, and they got compensation themselves. So, if a player is a really, really good player, and he's playing in the schoolboys league, and he's not playing with players you know, of his that, that are the same as him, he's not going to progress. He's not going to get better. You know, you need to have. And look, there's some fantastic clubs out there. You look at Ring Mahan and I mean Creeby and Kelleher. He didn't have to go to Cork City; he went straight across Liverpool. But at the moment, because of Brexit. Under 18 players can't sign for a UK club, so what's going to happen is they're going to be stuck in a. If they, if they, if they, if the school boys, you know, they don't want them to move, and they're they're not going to progress, you know. And by by 17, 18, will they be good enough to go to the UK? Then possibly not, unless they start playing with a higher caliber and against players who are of the same ability of them. There are, as I said, though, there are players out there, and you know, I think Reeve is probably a perfect example where he was taken across. And you know, I just think that in this day and age, you know. Can we just stop thinking of, you know, can the people in suits just stop and just start thinking of... And I just, sorry, Mick, I just wanted to, jumping in on what Damien says, like, we have this, we had historically this obsession of making it to England over in, in Ireland, you know, it was all about making it across the water. You haven't made it until you've gone to a club, but we have thousands and thousands of young fellas who've gone over to England. It hasn't worked out for them. They have no real education because they've gone over at 14 or 15. They're back. They're disillusioned with football at 18, 19 because they've, they haven't been given the opportunities they're afforded. And all of a sudden they're almost on what, what we would call the scrap heap in terms of, you know, they've no qualifications. They're going to try to get back into a trade. Like if you stay with the League of Ireland club and you do your time, 
you know, you do your leaving cert, you stay at home with family, you get your education, you come out then at 18, 19, you're ready to go into the world of professional work. We don't send 15 year olds over into kitchens to work and you know it, coal mines anymore yeah not it's 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 really i'd love to see a system where where young um men and women are able to continue their education and play football they get their opportunities to play professionally when they're 18 19 they have their leaving cert behind them if it doesn't work out for them they have a qualification they have a leaving cert they can go back into college and they can maybe find something that's down a new path but this whole obsession with going over to England at 14 15 and trying to cash in on a young player who show, who's showing any bit of talent i think it that that I think that attitude needs to go. And as I said, I'm a big Cork City fan, so obviously All right, I'm gents. biased that way, but I just think for the benefit of the young people, that would be for the best. Okay, gentlemen, your love yeah. of the game is, is, is very evident. Mick, I'd love to I'd love you to get the school boys that you got and maybe they can talk because, you know, they wouldn't speak to us and it, it turns they not. Well, I, I, I just hope that this discussion can open some reasonable debate where politics can be diffused. And, Absolutely. And, you know, sense can prevail in, in a sense. I'm not saying either side is, is right or wrong, but look, it's, it's for and sport. Said, there's a game in, in the Turners Cross Galway, 15th of July. I'd urge, you know, and we all urge those winning, that, those winning cup teams to be there and parade their trophy. There could be four or 5,000 people at this match. All right. And I guarantee they get the, the, the plaudits they deserve. Okay, Damien Shreenan, host of the other Three Amigos podcast, and Neil Prendeville, show producer and minister for sport, Kevin Galvin. Thank you very much. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. And our final Free Fruit Friday mentions Roosters, Piri Piri and Douglas. We're going to feed 15 people. The winners will get uh, from either the Douglas or Blackpool location. We'll get a huge feast of chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, a selection of mains, including chicken wraps, chicken pitas and beef burgers, uh, piri salted fries, piri mayo, garlic piri mayo, and all the fun of the fair. You can check it out at roosterspiripiri.com. Caulfield Transport, Little Island. They're an incredible team who've worked all through the lockdowns and continue to work very hard and always have a great banter and a bit of crack, so says Colette Caulfield. I'm Deirdre, working from home here in Colleen's. I would love if our team and Kevin Condon Financial Brokers in Blackpool would win Northside Tires, Northside Glass, Old Mallow Road, uh, Ballyfehan uh, Home Help Office, uh, we have Free Food Friday for stonemason.ie who are building a stone wall in Castle Martyr. We've got a very special guest in studio and a big concert coming up at Sea Church in uh, Ballycotton on Friday the 8th of July. So this day week, welcome to Cork, Jake Carter. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, you're an all-round multi-talented performer. There doesn't seem like any problem you haven't been on. <laughs> a multi-talented bluffer, I think that's what I'd call it. Uh, yeah, I kind of try my hand at everything. Uh, started out with singing, then I was asked would I uh, perform as a, an actor in a pantomime years ago. And I've done that every year since. And then I was asked to go and dance with the stars many years ago. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't know how I get away with it, but I, I bluff my way through it anyway. You've become a household name in Ireland, not just because you've, you've, you've been in, you've, you've played the lead role and uh, there's a striking resemblance to you and Aladdin. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I moved over here actually in 2017 um, and we kind of formed the band and started on the road. And then, funny enough, I was asked would I play the lead role of Aladdin in in the SSC arena in Belfast. No, I'd never done a day of acting in my life. So <laughs> it was a bit random when I was asked, but uh, I said yes. I'm kind of a bit of a yes man. I like a challenge. Um, so we decided that we would do it. And then that was the first pantomime I did. So kind of every Christmas I've done a pantomime since, which is, uh, which is a bit crazy and uh, something I never thought I would be doing. 
But look, I, I love it and it's it's great now every year I kind of do a different one. But okay, I, I'm kind of typecast as a lad as well. <laughs> as you say, you, you can't around at anything, but uh, that included the dancing with the, on Dancing, dancing with, the stars. with the Stars many moons ago. And had, had you ever danced? I'd never danced before and I remember I, I lived at the time with Rob Heffernan who does the breakfast show here as well. We had an apartment up in Dublin. I'd never lived in Dublin before, obviously. Uh, it was his first time His Cork accent didn't rub off on you anyway. Did not, no. I stuck with the Scouse okay, accent. I can hear the Scouse <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Liverpool. But, uh, it was an amazing experience like that. I'd never danced before, but uh, it was great. And you know, I'm very thankful that kind of uh, boosted my profile a lot and uh, got my music to a lot more ears over in Ireland as well. And, and, it's, and you uh, lifted the glitter great. ball trophy. I did. I lifted the the glitter ball trophy, which was crazy. I definitely thought Marty Morrissey was going to have it that year. To be honest, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's a program that spectacularly disinterests me. So let's get on to the music, shall we? <laughs> exactly. T- yeah. t- tell me about the influences and uh, and, and how you got to where you are today yeah I mean my music is it's I suppose it's changed a lot over the kind of the last few years we've been trying different things out and uh, COVID was kind of great in one sense that it, it gave me a lot of time to, to be writing new music and kind of finding where I want to go uh, so we're actually we're releasing a brand new EP at the end of this year um, it will kind of be my first album that will kind of be out as such um, in, and the music influences go from everything from kind of the Beatles to Oasis to the likes of Tom Grennan nowadays even Irish acts likes a picture this um, Wild Youth there's loads of up and coming pop yeah. acts at the minute in Ireland that are amazing um, and I'm sure we're going to see over the next few years a lot of them kind of break into into much bigger things Brilliant what song are you going to give us? Uh, I'm going to sing one of my own songs which is a, a song I wrote a couple of years ago and it's called I Won't Be Leaving and it goes like this Well I don't want to be the man I was I got caught up And I've been thinking lately That we could never be the ones in love It was all too much But now it seems to me That every time I'm with you it's like I'm dreaming and when you're not around, it feels like time moves slow I know you know that you're the one I want And no one else can go I've known it for so long I got to let you know that Baby, I've got this feeling now I can help that You're always on my mind And listen, baby I won't be leaving without you I won't be leaving without you Cause I don't ever wanna give it up Now we've got us And I know you want me Underneath your bodies where I see <laughs> Your love for me Oh that's where I want to be Cause every time I'm with you it's like I'm dreaming And when you're not around it feels like time moves slow I know you know that you're the one I want and no one else can go I've known it for so long I got to let you know that Baby, I've got this feeling now I can help that You're always on my mind Listen, baby I won't be leaving without you I won't be leaving without you I won't be leaving, 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 leaving Cause baby, I've got this feeling now
brilliant. What the, that look, it looks like a Martin guitar, but it's not. It's a Mayton guitar, Mayton actually. Yeah, guitar. all the way from Australia, uh, which is crazy. But it's actually the nicest guitar I've ever had, I've ever owned. Really? My um, favourite. One of many. <laughs> I, I suppose this is the question you're always going to hate getting. Do, do, do you have to climb out of the shadow of the famous brother or what? Uh, definitely. I mean, I always get asked it, obviously, and it's uh, it's been such a positive thing over the last few years, but it, it there's definitely There's a striking brings... resemblance to you and Nathan, you and, and, and there's exactly the same microphone. You're meant at... to say I'm you're a much better looking you're, you're one. More, you're more energetic, <laughs> but you've got the same sort of microphone attitude. And it's... Do you think? Geez, oh, yeah. that's nuts, yeah. I mean, well, I would have learned a lot from him, obviously, kind of, Nathan is he's eight years older than me, and he would have been a huge influence on me growing up, even though nowadays we're obviously completely different genres of music, but it's the same kind of industry, it's the same game, and I, I owe Nathan a lot. He's kind of guided me very, very well over the last couple of years, and he's always there to kind of ask advice for. Uh, but obviously, it, it does have its negative connotations as well, with a lot of people now would just see the name and think that it's kind of country music and stuff like that but uh, it's it's great you know what yeah. I mean I, I wouldn't change it for the world I, I love being his brother um, and I love when kind of people ask me as well because it's it's great to be able to talk All right. about it because it's, it's kind of not in the notes but it's kind of something <laughs> you have to ask so you're playing Sea Church in Ballycotton on the 8th of July we uh, are yeah I'm really starts, looking forward to it is yeah, it a so solo gig or a band it's it's with the full band full, full band. band yeah um, I've never been in Ballycotton I was in Castle Martyr there a couple of weeks ago I was lucky enough to, uh, to be able to go and stay at the hotel down there and it's stunning um, and I didn't realise how close Ballycotton was so I'm oh, heading look, there today there, there, there are brilliant venues in Cork uh, Sea Church in Ballycotton is one St Luke's uh, is another one uh, here in the city and you'll find it hard to beat as well uh, the Barra's Folk Club in uh, right. Tonakilty brilliant yeah, stage so there I've, as well I've heard about obviously Sea Church now and the guys asked us a few months ago would we come and do a gig so I looked it up online and it's an amazing venue it's really really cool and obviously Ballycotton is a stunning place so I'm really looking forward to the gig it's, it's happening next Friday now um, and yeah it's it's going to be great so we've the, the full band um, and some brand new songs as Stick well Stick on the headphones there Jake and say hello to Olga and all the gang at Irish Oxygen on the Waterfall Road Hello Olga and all the gang how are you? Hi Jake how are you doing? I'm the best I can't complain Yourself? Great, 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 considering it's a crappy rainy day. But I know. Sure, you know what? Well, there you go. You've, I'm sorry I brought that weather with me. <laughs> you, you, you've won the Roosters Free Food Friday right oh, here with, with, with Jay Carter. People, what do we say? Yay! <laughs> well done. I haven't got time, time to go into all the goodies you're going to get. We're going to feed 15 of you courtesy of Roosters Peri Peri oh, in brilliant. Douglas and in Blackpool. Uh, do you want to play out live or do you want me to play? Uh, we'll oh, play out the single live. You'll be delivering, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> We're Thanks playing out live. Bye, guys. Thanks. All the Thank best. You. Bye, bye. Bye, Jake. Okay, so that's that. Now, want, me, want me to play out with a uh, Jay Carter yeah, song? Yeah, so you... we've uh, a brand new single there that came out uh, actually a couple of months ago now, which was called "I Just Got to Take You Home." Okay, let um, me play that one here because uh, let's get the uh, let's get the volume up. We're out of time, Jake. That's oh okay. yeah, two sets of tickets to give away. Callers nine and ten, please on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Give me a quick intro to "I Just Gotta Take You Home." Jack so Carter. this is my brand new single. I just gotta take you home, and you can hear it live next Friday at Sea Church in Ballycock. Thank you, Jake Carter. Thank you. Take you home. Oh, oh. 
Gotta take you home, Jake plays in Sea uh, Church, Ballycotton, this night week, the 8th of uh, July. We're going to uh, give those uh, tickets to our winners. Won't have time to call them out, though. The programme this week was produced by Seamus Whelan, by Kevin Galvin, and by Claire O'Connor. Uh, it's been my pleasure to present it. I'm back for one more week after news at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. Have a great weekend. Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12, Cork's Red FM.